And we are on air for Fan for Racing NASCAR Weekend Preview of Phoenix. Uh, big races at Phoenix this weekend starting tomorrow with the Arca Sioux Chief Showdown. Uh, first time that they're having a Arca Menard Series race in the West uh, with this showdown uh, format. And really excited because you've got three series all coming together uh, for that race. Jay? Jay, are you there? Oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't know you were talking to me there. Uh, Yeah, it's super exciting. (laughs) Like you mentioned, the the first showdown event for the newly combined Arkham Menard Series under NASCAR banner. Uh, I think we're going to see some great, great things. I believe 25 entrants for this first showdown event uh, for it to be out west. Phoenix, great location. I think it's going to be a huge weekend for this series. I do, too. Definitely looking forward to it. Uh, And we'll talk more about that during this first half hour. At the 9 o'clock half hour, Jay, we'll get into some updates from the uh, Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. They are not racing this weekend. Uh, They have one more week off, and then they're going to return back to the track next weekend at Atlanta. But uh, a, a lot still going on within that series. Uh, we're going to have a lot to preview next week. Uh, I know we'll touch on it tonight, but a lot to preview on that next week as we head into Atlanta. Uh, the bounty, the championship, all of it going to start really sorting itself out. Absolutely. Uh, at 9.20, that begins our preview of the Xfinity Series at Phoenix. And then at 9.40, we get into the Cup Series at Phoenix. Uh, two big races there. Uh, this is the first short track on the schedule. So uh, we've had different tracks with the Super Speedway. Uh, then we went to the 1.5-mile track of Las Vegas. Then the 2-mile track at Fontana. Now we're talking about a 1-mile track at Phoenix. And I really like this part of the season. Again, we've hit every type of track. Uh, Haven't had the short track, as you will. I know Phoenix is kind of that in-between one. But really start to see where everybody is at for the year, Who, which teams need to make improvements, which teams are on the top of it and need to stay there. But this is really where you're going to start seeing the season unfold and have an idea how we're going to look at that championship come into the year. Yes, indeed. Definitely looking forward to uh, the racing this weekend and, of course, the rest of the season. Okay, now at 10 o'clock, Jay, we do have NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Andy won't be able to be with us tonight, but we have Mike O. A lot of folks might know him from our chat room conversations. Uh, Mike O is going to be with us tonight for our Hot Topic Sound Off. Well, looking forward to that. Uh, I get to chat with him pretty much on a daily basis, but I know he's been very uh, active in our chat room. We appreciate that. Always has some very interesting uh, opinions to share, and we absolutely enjoy that. Whether we agree with him or not, it's always great, and I love this sport because of it. It's not one team against the other. There's 40-some teams out there, so you've got 40 different uh, teams you're rooting for, if you will. Um, as well as a lot of other things that we're going to talk about tonight as far as the sport as a whole. So look forward to that with Mike. Absolutely. Uh, So with that, let's go ahead and get started because we want to rev up race fans for the upcoming weekend of racing here. We're going to start with the Arkham Menard Series and their Sioux Chief Showdown 
uh, at Phoenix this weekend. Uh, really excited for this race. I put out an article today on fanforracing.com uh, kind of breaking down the Arca Sioux Chief Showdown because a lot of folks in the Midwest are going to be familiar with that. But this is the first time that we've gone west of the Mississippi and we're going to uh, be introducing Arca really to a whole new group of race fans. And that's why I really like what what the ARCA series under this NASCAR banner now has done, the ARCA Menard series now, um, in accomplishing that, uh, spreading it out. We got some uh, different tracks, Phoenix being one of them, for the ARCA Menard series. So some of these drivers, it's a homecoming. Some of the drivers from the West series being part of that showdown are uh, going to combine with the main series as well as the East. So there's so many different aspects to it of this one race that are really intriguing and going to play such an impact on this series for the year and into the future. Yes. Now, the showdown typically features the short tracks and a couple of uh, road courses. So, uh, again, it's a chance for, for these drivers from the Arkham Menard series, the East and the West, to all have a chance, a second chance, if you will, to win this championship, the showdown <laughs> championship at the end of the season. So, uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, now, what fans should be looking for this weekend? You, you remember a couple of years ago, there was Todd Gilliland who was winning races in the East and the West, and at times he was leading the, the uh, point standings in both of those series. And we thought he might be the first driver to win the championship on both, both series. Well, we've got a driver doing that again this season, and that's Sam Mayer. He won both season openers in the East and the West. And uh, I can't wait to see what he does now because he is on the entry list for the Sioux Chief Joe Showdown at Phoenix. Well, and with that becomes the possibility. Right now, uh, Michael Self is your current leader after Daytona, but he could actually theoretically come out leading all three of the points and that would include the main Arkham Menard series. So definitely a, a storyline there to watch. Uh, at, like I said, right now, Michael Self is your leader, and I'm sure has every intention of winning that race himself. But uh, Sam Mayer, I think, but is going to be one mind, he's going to have to contend with. Yeah, keep in mind that uh, Michael Self leads the Arkham Menard series. He does not lead the Showdown series right now because this is the first race of the Showdown series. So we don't know who the leader is of the Arca Sioux Chief Showdown yet. We won't know that until after Phoenix Raceway this weekend. So our, Michael Self is entered in this race. It is part of the 20 race schedule for the Arca Menard Series, but it is the first race of the Showdown Series, if that makes sense. <laughs> So he actually could come out leading all four, I guess. Uh, I don't know that in one race he could overtake Michael, even if that Michael has a really bad day. Like I said, I don't see it as a necessarily going to happen, but it is a possibility, and you're right. For the showdown series itself, the, the championship within the main ARCA series now, um, that that is the first race, so it would establish that point lead. Exactly right. So uh, it, that's why I did that breakdown because it can be confusing for those people that are being introduced uh, to the Arkham Menard series uh, this year. So uh, we want to make sure that, that everybody understands. But there's some other drivers that I want fans to, to kind of keep an eye on. Michael Self is one of them because he is leading the Arkham Menard series. He's running for the championship. He came oh so close last year 
SJ, uh, but his teammate Christian Eckes, who's now racing in the truck series full time, uh, won that championship in the Arkham Menard series. Michael Self wants that championship, and I think he's going to go after it this year in the Arkham Menard series. But I think he'd like to also pick it up in the Sioux Chief Showdown series. I'm sure he does, but you're right. The main focus is that overall championship, and he came out strong, obviously, with that win at Daytona, which, again, is kind of a redemption thing for him. I know he says he's not great on super speedways, but I believe that's his second now at Daytona. So you're right. He is on a mission and very, very focused uh, as a driver on that championship. Okay, some other drivers that I think we need to keep an eye on uh, in addition to those two, you've got uh, the drivers who finished up, uh, uh, you know, Ty Gibbs uh, has been racing in the Arkham Menard Series. He did not race a full schedule last season, uh, and I'm not sure if he's racing full schedule this year, but if he's not, he really should be because he's another competitor that I could think could give uh, all of these guys a run for their money. He most certainly does, whether it's full-time or not. If he shows up at the track in that uh, Gibbs number 18 Toyota, you know he's going to be a contender for that race win. Uh, We've seen that with several drivers that do do, and Chandler Smith is another one for Venturini Motorsports. When they get that opportunity, no matter how limited it may be, they're going to show up and give it everything they've got. So uh, both Gibbs and Chandler Smith are two that are also going to have to be contended with. Yes, and and Chandler Smith is is entered this weekend, as is Haley Deegan, who's now racing full time in the truck series. Uh, she's she's in, entered this weekend at Phoenix, so uh, I think she's another notable that fans should take a look at this weekend. Most definitely, and we all look forward to that to see how she do with the full time ride now in the Arkham Menard series. Coming back to a track she is familiar with, she has raced at Phoenix before. I think plays to her favor, at least at this point, early point in the season in her career in the Arkham Menard series. So I think that bodes well in her favor. Uh, she had a great showing, obviously, at Daytona, and I look forward to seeing her build on that as the season continues. Absolutely. Now, uh, some of the drivers from Bill McAnally Racing are going to be entered this weekend as well. We've got Gracie Trotter, uh, a female rookie in the uh, Arca West. Uh, she is. Uh, she finished fourth at the Bull Ring in Las Vegas, along with Blaine Perkins, who finished third from Sunrise Ford Racing. So there's another couple of drivers to keep an eye on this weekend. Well, you always got to keep an eye on the McAnally teams, uh, no matter, again, who the drivers are. Does such a wonderful job of developing new, young, and upcoming drivers. Talked about Haley Diggin. That's the team she came from on the West Coast. You mentioned Todd Dillon. So we we know what McAnally is capable as far as providing for a driver to develop and move up. Uh, So those two are certainly ones we're going to have to keep our eye on throughout the year and into the future. Again, this is where I know the Xfinity Series is where the names are made, but the future of these drivers really starts here at these uh, Arkham Menards East and West Series at that low level. 
Okay, now let me kind of correct myself just a little bit here because I'm going through this century list again. I thought I saw Blaine Perkins on this list earlier today. He is not on the entry list at uh, at Phoenix, so that's interesting because I think he would have been a strong contender there. Uh, and But some other drivers who are on that list, Gracie Trotter is on the list in the number 99 for Bill McAnally. Uh, we mentioned J- uh, Chandler Smith being on this list. So is Jesse Love. He finished second uh, to uh, Sam Mayer in the ARCA West season opener. So I think he's another one to watch this weekend. He certainly is. Uh, and that's another one that I think you're going to start seeing more and more of that name, especially being with a McAnally team. Like you said, we saw him. Uh, Sam kind of had that race dominated, but he definitely uh, wasn't given it by any means because Jesse Love definitely <laughs> ran with him there several stretches throughout that race door to door. So uh, another one that will be really cool to watch develop throughout this season and where he comes out there in the West Series. Yes, indeed. Another one uh, from the East, uh, from Rev Racing, Chase Cabra had some really great showings last season. Uh, and I look for him to kind of up his game this year. He is actually on the century list, and in, in, it says in the number 4E for uh, Rev Racing at Phoenix. So that's uh, a big deal because Rev Racing doesn't usually race in the West, uh, so I'm really glad to see them on the on the list here, along with Nick Sanchez from Rev Racing. And that, and that shows you the importance and what this uh, showdown series is. And one aspect, I know when we talked about it being at Phoenix, I think another aspect that we didn't really touch upon, though, is being in conjunction with the top two touring yes. series, Xfinity and Cup Series. You know, there's car owners and uh, a lot of people there at that top level watching these races, and I think it's a great place for these young drivers to showcase. Again, not only are we watching them, there's uh, owners that are watching and keeping an eye on them as well. Yes, these are the future uh, drivers of NASCAR's top three series, and we've seen that happen over the years. Um, What I really like about that is that we've never seen a Sioux Chief showdown happen on a national stage with the Xfinity and Cup Series, and we've never seen it in the West. So there's a lot of history taking place with this particular race at this track, and it will air on Fox Sports 1 uh, Friday night at 7 p.m. Eastern time. So fans will be able to watch it from home if they're not able to get out there to the track. So that makes this uh, really a lot of fun. Uh, Some other names on this uh, list, Christian McGee is racing for Chad Bryant Racing. That's typically an East Coast uh, team that is uh, taking on a West Coast driver in Christian McGee in the number 22 car for Chad Bryant Racing. Pretty cool to see. It is. I know they had that announcement. I actually follow them on uh, Facebook, and we've, uh, we've watched in Chad Bryant with Chad Bryant Racing, what they're building there, another great program that I love to see stepping up its game and really becoming a factor in these series um, as they continue to build their program there. Uh, without a doubt. Now, Andy Hillenberg is a team that uh, typically uh, is on the East Coast as well. He's got several drivers that are going to be racing this weekend, and Ryan Huff in the number 10 car, Dawson Cram in the number 11 car. Uh, You've also got Tom Birdie in the number 12 car 
uh, that's going to be racing this weekend with that Gilliland group. So I'm sorry, with the Hillenberg group. So that's uh, really cool to see as well. Oh, Armani Williams as well. I almost missed him. And you talk about a, about a team that that has been there through it all um, at all levels uh, to include track ownership. Uh, Andy Hillenberg, that is one that just continues to give to this sport he loves so much and making it available to the future stars of the sport. So always like to see the Hillenberg teams do good. Okay. Venturini, also from the East. Venturini Motorsports, they have several drivers racing this weekend. Uh, that includes in the number 15 car, Drew Dollar. We also have... Um, uh, Chandler Smith, we mentioned earlier, in the number 20 car this week for uh, Venturini. And, of course, Michael Self in that number 25 car for Venturini Motorsports. And I know we talk about it when it comes to the main Arkham and Arm series uh, that Venturini is at the top level at this point. Um, and those three, obviously, are going to be contenders. Michael Self, again, going for that championship hard and heavy this year. Venturini, or, uh, I'm sorry, Chandler Smith, again, getting some limited starts this year. Uh, Drew Dollar is one that I think could uh, really show something this year. I believe he is in that ride in the number 15 for the full season, if I'm not mistaken. Okay. Yeah, and I, I'm hoping that is the case. And one team I, one, uh, team I left out of the Venturini group is Gio Scalzi in that number 16 car for Venturini. Another rookie that uh, most certainly uh, keep an eye on. We'll have to wait and see how he develops. I know it's only been one one race under their belt so far, but I think we're going to see some good things out of him as he continues to get track time. Okay, let's talk about the Bill McAnally teams now. We've mentioned a few of them here, but there are some other McAnally uh, drivers that are going to be in this race, including Lawless Allen in the 12W uh, this weekend. He's uh, a popular driver out on the West Coast, and I think we're going to see great things from him this season. Uh, we mentioned Jesse Love already. He'll be in the number 19 car for McAnally Racing. And then we also have uh, Gracie Trotter, who we also mentioned in the number 99 car for Bill McAnally Racing. And this is one where, again, coming to the, together on a national stage, national level, national TV on Fox Sports 1. For some of these uh, regional drivers, if you will, I know you mentioned Blaine Perkins not being on the list this week, but uh, was in the West Race last weekend, to get that exposure that maybe they wouldn't as a regional driver uh, coming together now on a national platform, uh, I think is really great for this series for all the way down uh, throughout the Arkham Menard series, the East, the West, and the main roster. Okay. Now, some other drivers that we haven't yet mentioned from DGR Crossley, Tanner Gray. He's really made some waves uh, in a short amount of time in the number 17 car for, for uh, DGR, and he's going to be in that car this weekend at uh, Phoenix. We also have Zane Smith is going to be driving. He's racing in the uh, truck series this season. He'll be in the 17W uh, this weekend at uh, Phoenix. And Brett Holmes, another contender in the Arkham Menard series, the main series, uh, and he wants to contend for the championship as well. He'll be in the number 23 car this weekend. And you mentioned, mentioned several there as far as the main Arkham Menard series. Um, Drew Dollar is currently third in points, 
and you mentioned Brett Holmes, and he's a contender each and every year in that uh, self-owned team, uh, sitting ninth in points. And again, after only one race, even ninth in points, they're 13 points out. So some big points on the line. That's the one thing I find really intriguing about this, with it being a combination race for all of the series, 25 drivers. Uh, could be a huge impact on all these different points. Yeah, exactly right. Now, in the 77 car is going to be Takuma Koga. Uh, he'll be racing this weekend. The 48 car will have Brad Smith. 46 is Thad Moffat. He'll be racing this weekend. Uh, that's with the DGR car as well. Howie DiSalvino, the third, will be in the number 32 car for Wintron Racing. And let me go up the list. I'm trying to catch those people that we've not yet mentioned. Uh, Tim Richmond from Illinois will be in the 06 car for Wayne Peterson Racing this weekend. Again, you talk about being from Indiana, getting to race on the West Coast, get some exposure there. And I think it's huge for all of these drivers being that big a field, some obviously uh, top-level competitors, Michael Self returning in the Arkham Menard Series, to put themselves in a position to race against top competitors like that and really learn and grow their own driving skills. It, yeah, it's it's really cool because uh, uh, we've got drivers from all over the country participating in this event. And in this combination event, bringing all three series together, there are 25 cars on the entry list for Phoenix Raceway. So I think uh, that's going to make it very interesting. Again, this race takes place tomorrow, Friday, March the 6th at 5, uh, well, actually at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 Live. It is a one-mile paved oval, and uh, fans will be able to follow along with all of the action uh, of this race on TV. So there's also the race center that's available at arcaracing.com that fans will be able to follow along if they're not in front of the TV. Uh, they can follow along at, at that race center uh, at the ARCA website. And I think NASCAR did a great job in laying out this uh, showdown series specifically uh, using Phoenix, again, the combination with the uh, Cup and Xfinity series. Um, having it on the west coast or that far west, or not the west coast, but to the, to the western side of the United States um, for this first mm-hmm. one. And we talk about it being on FS1, and I believe I saw somewhere throughout the day today, MRN is going to start covering some ARCA races. So, again, the exposure these series yeah. are getting uh, is just building and building, and I think that's going to be so great for this sport, obviously for that series and for these drivers that, uh, again, if they're a regional driver, uh, getting their name out there amongst the the nation. Now, just to kind of give you a flavor for what this ARCA showdown, ARCA Sioux Chief showdown looks like for the rest of the season, uh, they're coming east for their next race that will take place on April the 19th, the Kentuckiana Ford Dealers 200 at Salem Speedway. That race takes place in April. In May, they head to a road course. Uh, May 29th, they'll be racing at Mid-Ohio Sports Car Course, and that's going to be interesting. That's another East Coast race uh, for this series. And then we've got uh, the Lucas Oil Raceway on July 3rd, uh, that's in Indiana, Elko Speedway in, in Wisconsin on July the 11th, Iowa Speedway July the 17th, 
Uh, that's another East Coast. Uh, now, the Gateway Race, uh, that's going to take place at August 2nd at Worldwide Technology Raceway at Gateway. Uh, that will be interesting. And then you've got another road course on August the 14th at Watkins Glen International. September 17th is Bristol Motor Speedway, and uh, Memphis International Speedway will take place on September 26th, and that will be the season finale for the Arca Sioux Chief Showdown. That's when we'll know who the champion is for this 10-race showdown series. Well, I really like the way, again, the way NASCAR laid this out with some East Coast, some West Coast, uh, some Central ones, a couple of new tracks for them. And I don't know if he's listening tonight, but before Quentin messaged me, they're uh, sharing Elko Speedway mm-hmm. was actually Minnesota. I got to stand up for my people. Oh, did I say That's Minnesota? That's actually it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, what did I say, Road, Wisconsin? Yeah, you said Wisconsin. Road America is a great one in Wisconsin, but Elko is just so, south yeah. of Minneapolis, St. Paul. So I'm sure if uh, oh, okay. Quentin's Thanks listening, I get a message from him. <laughs> Okay, well, I apologize for that. Now, we have a few minutes here, Jay. I want to make sure that we take the time here to also give our uh, fantasy picks for this weekend from our Fan for Racing crew. So I'm going to tweet those out as you're giving them here on the radio show. Let's start with the Xfinity Series first. All right, well, for the Xfinity Series, uh, coming off the – Auto Club uh, finish. Uh, James got to go first. He took Justin Halgeier. I was second. I went with Daniel Hemrick again, driving for the second week with Junior Motorsports, looking for a good week from him. And uh, that left Andy to take one of his favorite there, Chase Briscoe. And I truthfully had not even looked at the entry list. Sharon got Kyle Busch. Uh, <laughs> I knew it in the back of my head, but didn't really register. I saw some pictures of his car for this weekend, so. Uh, Sharon gets Kyle Busch in the Xfinity Series. And then Owen, and I know you put this, that he took a dark horse in Ryan Seed. Uh, so far this year, I know it's been a phenomenal year. I, I don't know if we can consider him a dark horse because he's been top five and right there with the leaders. So great pick by uh, by Owen. And Sam actually, as last pick, got to take Austin Sendrick, who we know is going to be, we figure on being one of the contenders for the year-end championship. So, Six great picks, and uh, super interested to see how that plays out. As again, this will settle out our kind of sort out our fan for racing fantasy picks um, here with what, five really, races now into the season. Yeah, I really didn't think I was going to get Kyle Busch. I was shocked because I was what one? Let's see. Yeah, one, two, three. I was fourth pick and was able to get Kyle Busch. I was shocked. By that, I thought sure like somebody I, else would have taken him. Yeah, I know. I think like others I said, were probably I, in the same boat. I remember, I remember seeing pictures of his cars and whatnot. And I know in the truck series, uh, being that that's pretty much a given the way he's been running. Um, Xfinity, I think, is a little more interesting, especially with some of his teammates that he's running with this year. But we'll have to see how that uh, how that shakes out. I believe it's the number fifty four Twix car this weekend. That's why it's standing out because he has the Twix sponsorship. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to the Cup Series now. All right, on the Cup Series, uh, Owen had, had got to go first there, too. Or I'm sorry, he didn't go first in the other one. Um, there he did. Uh, took Brad Keselowski right off out the gate. 
Sharon followed that by, which I think might be the pick, uh, Ryan Blaney. Another one, so far this year, he has been a contender, a strong contender to win each and every week. So a strong pick with Ryan Blaney. Sam took Jimmy Johnson, which I think we saw last weekend. Jimmy Johnson certainly coming back to form. The Chevrolet Camaro ZL1 doing a lot better this year. We'll take a look at that another week or two into the season here. Uh, and we got Kevin Harvick, Phoenix. Obviously, that's a strong pick. And it left it to James and I. James took Martin Truex, another one at Phoenix, I think certainly is a strong one. And I still had to flip a coin here for two other JGR cars. Kyle Busch was on one side, Denny Hamlin on the other. I went with Denny Hamlin. Uh, but And that leaves Kyle Busch off the list for our six picks, and that could be one where we're all kicking ourselves again later. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you never know at Phoenix. This is a one-mile track. They had that reconfiguration that kind of shook things up a little bit. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I know we talked earlier about the ARCA series here. Uh, Now, Michael Self is one of the drivers. uh, He's racing the main ARCA racing series, Menard series right now. But he used to race in the Canon Pro Series. And when they had the combination events, the East meets West, I believe he won two of those events uh, at Iowa Speedway. And uh, I would not be surprised. (laughs) Um, It's going to be interesting to see him back at that track with the reconfiguration at Phoenix because I know he's familiar with that track. But the reconfiguration is going to be a little bit different for him. I don't know that it's going to slow him down because although he said he's not good on short tracks, he proved that. Uh, to not be the case last year when he won both on the short tracks and the dirt tracks uh, in the Arkham Menard Series. So can't wait to see what he does at Phoenix. Yeah, I don't think we're buying that answer from him anymore where he says he's not very good (laughs) on certain tracks. (laughs) I think that is the case. Okay, now let's move on here to the Gander Outdoor RV and Outdoor Truck Series because, uh, again, they're not racing this weekend. They'll be racing again next weekend, Saturday, March the 14th, at Atlanta Motor Speedway for the Georgia 200. Uh, That race will take place at 1.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It will be televised on Fox Sports 1 at 1 p.m. with their pre-race show. And then, of course, MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio will also have coverage. Now, last year's Defending winner was Kyle Busch, so uh, he's going to be in that race again. But there, and we'll talk about this uh, when we do our updates here. Uh, but let's go ahead before we get too far ahead of ourselves. Uh, let's go ahead and start uh, with On Point Motorsports because uh, they've tapped somebody for that race at Atlanta. That's right. On Point Motorsports announced that Danny Bone will run five races in that number 30 Toyota Tundra in 2020 for the team starting at Atlanta Motor Speedway. Other races are going to include Richmond Raceway, Charlotte Motor Speedway, Bristol Motor Speedway, and Talladega Super Speedway. Now Bone has raced in the Wheeland Modifi- NASCAR Wheeland Modified Tour and finished runner-up in the NASCAR Wheeland Southern Modified Tour back in 2012 taking the Rookie of the Year and Most Popular popular Driver honors. Uh, Prior to Atlanta, On Point Motorsports had Brendan Poole in the number 30 truck. In those two starts he made this season, he put up an average finish of 16.0. So, again, great to see another driver getting the opportunity in these truck series to make a name for themselves. 
Okay. Now, we mentioned Chandler Smith was racing this weekend uh, as part of the Arkham Menard Series showdown uh, at Phoenix, but he's also going to be, he's also racing with Kyle Busch Motorsports for eight races this season, and uh, uh, he's going to have primary sponsorship from JBL. Now, Smith's schedule is going to kick off at race Richmond Raceway in April for the start of the Triple Truck Challenge within the Truck Series. His second race is slated to be at Dover International Speedway. Smith has a really impressive four starts with KBM from last season, making an average finish of 4.2 while driving the split schedule in the number 51 and 46. Now, Smith finished inside the top 10 in all of his starts. He also led 56 laps and also recorded three top five finishes. His best finish was runner-up at Bristol Motor Speedway. Now, Smith also made starts for KBM in the Super Late Model Program. He notched a runner-up finish in the All-American 400 at Fairground Speedway, and he finished sixth in the Snowball Derby. Smith also ran part-time in the Arkham Menard Series, collecting five victories, four poles, eight top fives, and ten top tens. He led 666 laps and did all of that while only competing in 11 of 20 races. He's also making starts at Michigan International Speedway, uh, the WWT Raceway at Gateway, Bristol, Las Vegas Motor Speedway, Talladega Super Speedway, and Phoenix Raceway. So uh, that's going to be interesting. <laughs> Phoenix is, they're not racing at Phoenix this weekend, but they will be racing at Phoenix later on this season. And he's one, again, does so much in the limited starts he has uh, with some great teams. Can't wait to see him run any series full time because I think <laughs> he's really going to make a splash once he does. Yes, indeed. Now, although we're only two races into the NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series for 2020, we're going to take a uh, top three look at the top three in the Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings, and then I'll do a quick rundown on where everybody else slots in. But at the top, we got GMS Racing's Zane Smith. We talked about him running in that Arco Menard Series. He's running for Rookie of the Year uh, and leads that standings with 58 points. He's six overall in the driver points for the series with one top 10 finish and two starts this season. Two points behind him is Kyle Busch Motorsports' Christian Eckes, second in the rookie points, and eighth in the driver standings. And seven points from Eckes is McAnally Higgleman Racing's Derek Krause, who's third in the rookie standings and 15th overall in the driver standings. Smith and Krause are the first two drivers to win the Snoko Rookie of the Year race awards in 2020 so far. Smith opened the season strong with an 11th place finish at Daytona and a 6th place finish at Las Vegas. He's completed 100% of the laps attempted and earned an average finish of 8.5. Now, Eckes, on the other hand, had a slow start to the season, unfortunately, finishing 22nd at Daytona and 23rd at Las Vegas. Driver of the number 18 Toyota was competing hard with his owner and teammate during the race at Las Vegas, but ended up suffering uh, from penalties and being involved in an incident late in the race. Kraus has had mixed results, too, finishing fourth at Daytona, but then 22nd at Las Vegas due to an incident on the third lap of the race and unable to work his way back to the front of the field. As we look ahead to Atlanta, 
The only series rookie that has made a previous Gander Truck start at Atlanta is Spencer Davis, and that is in 2018. He started fourth and finished 13th. The rest of the class will be making their series track debuts. Just to give you a quick, we talked about those top three. The next one's down. We've talked about him uh, for, for in the other series, Tanner Gray at 44 points, Raphael Lassard at 39, Ty Majeski at 29, and Spencer Davis at 25, along with Tate Fogelman. So that's how your overall look look at the NASCAR Gander and RV Outdoor Truck Series Sunoco Rookie of the Year standings come into play. Yes, and I think as this season goes along and these guys get more comfortable in the trucks, I think we're going to see uh, that jumble up a, a couple of different times, if not more, throughout this season. Okay, next up, it's all about points, points, points. <laughs> Although the series is only two races into the season, uh, the truck series is taking a look at the driver point standings. Uh, it shows us who's been on top of their game since the start of the season. Hattori Racing Enterprises driver Austin Hill has popped out of the gate real quick this season, and he leads the driver standings with 82 points. He's nine markers up on the second-place driver, Johnny Sauter. Hill has one top five and two top tens in the first two races this season, and he's led 11 laps. Now, the Thor Sport racing driver and veteran Johnny Sauter is right in Hill's rear view mirror and second in the truck series driver standings with 73 points. He also has one top five and two top tens on the year. Now, right behind Sauter is Ben Rhodes. He sits third in the series point driver standings, 22 points back from the lead. He has one top five finish this season, and Rhodes gained a massive 16 spots in the standings after Las Vegas, just 13 points behind his teammate, Johnny Sauter. GMS Racing's Brett Moffat, uh, the 2018 series champion, is in fourth. Uh, in the Truck Series standings following Las Vegas with 59 points. He's 23 points back from Austin Hill in the standings lead. Moffat's GMS teammate, Sheldon Creed, rounds out the top five in the standings with two top ten performances in his many races. He's accumulated 58 points this season. He's 24 points back from Hill and just one point back from, his, from Brett Moffat, his teammate. Looking ahead to Atlanta, Hill will have to work. Uh, he'll have his work cut out for him to hold on to the standings lead as the top five in points. Uh, ben Rhodes has the best average finish at the 1.54 mile track at 4.8, followed by Moffat at 5.3, Creed at 12.0, Sauter 12.1, and Hill at 13.8. So uh, that gives you a little bit of a sneak peek into that Atlanta race and what to expect there. Well, and if you if you don't have Twitter or been following it on any of the NASCAR uh, channels or broadcasts, a uh, big thing about Atlanta is there is a Gander Trucks bounty out, and that's to beat Kyle Busch. Now, it all started on Twitter when Kevin Harvick tweeted, any full-time NASCAR Cup Series driver, who competes in a NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series race and beats Kyle Busch could win an additional 50000 Now, Marcus Limonis, the CEO of Camping World and Gander RV Outdoors, pushed it even further, raising, doubling that, raising the price to 100000 
Now, again, they're limited on their starts. Bush currently has four more truck races on his schedule, Atlanta, Homestead, Texas, and Kansas. Now, GMS Racing announced that Georgia native Chase Elliott will drive the number 24 Chevrolet for the team, making Atlanta the first race where that bounty comes into play. If Elliott doesn't secure the win, Kyle Larson will get his shot at it, also with GMS Racing at Homestead Miami Speedway. Elliott will be back behind the number 24 then again at Kansas. Now, former NASCAR team owners Billy Blue and James Finch have also come together to run a truck entry for Eric Jones at Homestead Miami in the hopes of winning that bounty. Jones is the only one of the three that I'll talk about here that is a truck series champion. Now, however, if Bush is successful at holding off anyone from taking that bounty, Harvick will donate that money to the Bundle of Joy Foundation that him and his wife, Samantha, operate. Now, as a note, any driver taking up the bounty doesn't actually have to win one of those races. They only have to finish ahead of Bush. If more than one Cup Series driver is competing against Bush in a single race, it'll be the highest finishing driver to get that bounty. And obviously, this was all kind of addressed in jest, but also seriousness. Driver's not allowed to wreck Bush for the money either. So we'll take a quick look at those three um, and their stats. Uh, Chase Elliott. Elliott has 12 starts to his name in the Gander Truck Series. He has two wins, eight top five finishes, 10 top 10 finishes, and three poles. He's led a total of 301 laps. And an average finish, or I'm sorry, average start of 6.3, average finish of 7.9. His first Gander Trucks win came at Canadian Tire Motorsports Park back in 2013, and only a six-start career start in the series. Second win was at Martinsville, and that was in 2017. Came from the pole. His first and only start at Atlanta Motor Speedway was also in 2017, where he started ninth and finished fifth but he's never run a truck race at Kansas, so this season will mark his series track debut there. Now we'll look at Kyle Larson. He also has 13 starts in the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series, two wins, seven top fives, ten top tens, and two poles. His first win came at Rockingham Speedway and only his fifth start in the series. And then he later on went on to win on Eldora, the Eldora Dirt Derby in 2016, coming from the seventh starting spot. He's led a total of 703 laps. Average start is 7.3, the finish of 8.5. Now he'll be making his fourth Gander truck start at Homestead Miami Speedway, the first being in 2012 when he started on the front row but ended up finishing 27th due to an incident. He competed at Homestead again in 2014, starting on the pole, finishing runner-up. His last start in the series at Homestead, or was it at Homestead, and that was in 2016. He started third and finished fourth. Now, the most experienced of the group might be Eric, or was actually Eric Jones. Uh, in the series, amongst all the three cup drivers pursuing this bounty, he has 42 career starts from 2013 to 2018, the total of seven wins, 10 top fives, 35 top tens, and seven poles. Not to mention, he is the 2015 NASCAR Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series champion. His first win came at Phoenix Raceway in 2013 and only his fifth career truck start. Most recent win was in 2015 at Texas Motor Speedway. Career average start and finish of 7.0. All 
three of them, I think, have good shots. Obviously, Chase Elliott, the first at Atlanta. Uh, I think they've really done a lot for this series in, in what we're looking at, and they're doing it in a good way. Yeah, you and I have talked about it before. Some of the best racing in NASCAR happens in the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series. So uh, I think this was pure genius on Kevin Harvick's part to really bring some attention to this series. And fans who might not normally watch these Truck Series races, I think will now be tuning in to see if Chase Elliott, Kyle Larson, or Eric Jones can win that $100,000 bounty. So this is going to be fun to watch. Uh, Can't wait to see how it plays out. Now, on the way to Atlanta, it's another off week for the Gander RV and Outdoor Truck Series as they get ready to go to battle on the 1.54-mile track of Atlanta Motor Speedway in just one week. Uh, The race on Saturday, March the 14th, is marking the third race of the 2020 season for the series and the first of the Saturday doubleheader for the NASCAR Xfinity Series. Now, Grant Infinger secured the season-opening win at Daytona International Speedway, and Kyle Busch returned back to the series at Las Vegas Motor Speedway and took home another checkered flag to kick off the 2020 season. Uh, That was his seventh consecutive win in the series, which is why Kevin Harvick put up that bounty. Now, a few quick facts about Atlanta Motor Speedway and the upcoming race is the Hampton Georgia track is 1.54 miles. The race length is 200.2 miles, which is 130 laps. There is a 23-degree banking in the corners and 5-degree banking on the straightaways. The front stretch is 2,332 feet, and the back stretch, 1,800 feet. Now, Ron Hornaday Jr., some of us will remember that name, still holds the race record from March 18, 2005 at 142.424 miles per hour. The closest margin of victory, that came in also in 2005 at .008 seconds, and the greatest margin of victory was in 2015 at 8.752 seconds. There have been 12 different pole winners and 13 different race winners and 11 different winning truck owners. Five of 18 races there have been won from the pole. So the pole doesn't necessarily mean that the driver is going to end up winning this race. Uh, it, it's going to be interesting to see what they do at Atlanta when this series goes back to the track. Uh, most certainly it is. It is, and I, and I like the, the stat you mentioned there. I think the truck series is probably one of the ones most Im- impacted by getting that pole position as far as the race outcome. Obviously, it still comes into play for pit selection and everything, but I do think that uh, the pole position there isn't quite as, as important as it is in the Xfinity and Cup series. Uh, uh, that is true. Okay, Mike's been very active on our uh, chat room, if anybody uh, wants to chime in there. Uh, so uh, I really, uh, I really uh, would encourage people to check out our chat room because he's uh, usually pretty good at coming up with uh, uh, some different points of view as we continue to talk here on our Fan for Racing radio. Okay, Jay, let's... Um, let's uh, talk about the uh, points overall for our fantasy team in the truck series. 
real quick before we right. move on to the Xfinity. That that wouldn't happen to be because you're leading that series, would it? Oh, is it really? <laughs> yeah, I, well, I forgot we got, about that. Again, we only got two races in in the truck series so far. But, yeah, Sharon so far had Grant Anfinger with that win and then uh, Matt Crafton at Las Vegas. So you do lead that series at seven points. Sam is on your tail at six. I'm one more behind at five, along with we got to come in a race late, but we both had Kyle Busch, as a matter of fact, at Las Vegas, so picked up five there. And then James and Andy are sitting at two apiece. And if we got one more minute here, I know we haven't put up the standings in the series or overall, but overall we're off to a great pace again. I'm at 30 points for all three series. Andy's at 28. Sharon and Sam at 24. James at 16, and Owen at 13. So, again, going to be some tight and exciting battles throughout the year here as we do this Fantasy Points and have such a blast with it. And I'm so glad Owen jumped in here and we got six of us now. Yes, I am too. I'm I'm really uh, – I really had forgotten that I was leading that series, but it sounds like it's very tight and a lot can happen at this next race to kind of jumble that up. So uh, we're still early in the season, so we'll see how this goes – uh, by the time we get to midway, huh? <laughs> uh, most certainly. And then, again, we do a little added this. I think last year was the first year we did it. Once we hit the playoffs, we double the points. So that always makes it nobody's out of it through into the playoffs. We all get to kind of have a shot at the playoffs at those double points. But it certainly makes it interesting. It does indeed. Okay. Now, next up is going to be the NASCAR Xfinity Series. They're racing at Phoenix Raceway this weekend in the LS Tractor 200. That race is taking place Saturday, March the 7th at 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Pre-race coverage will be on Fox Sports 1 starting at 3.30 p.m., along with the radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR radio. They'll be racing 200 miles over 200 laps. Again, this is a one-mile track. Stage one and stage two are 45 laps apiece. The final stage, of course, ends on the last lap. And, of course, last year's defending winner is Kyle Busch, which is why I picked him on my fantasy pick for the Xfinity Series. Well, when we talk about Phoenix, we'll start out with a little bit fun stat of the week, and that's since the introduction of stage racing, which came into the Xfinity Series in 2017, none of the Phoenix Raceway spring races have been won by a driver that won either of the first two stages of the event. So there again, we talked about pole sitter in the truck series, how much that matters. Stage winning at Phoenix, apparently not a big indicator of who's going to be there at the end. <laughs> Interesting stat from Phoenix, uh, and and I, I'm glad to know that before watching the race because uh, I'll keep an eye on that. Also, there's the loop points to uh, the loop data actually points to Daniel Hemrick, and I believe that was your pick this weekend, right, James? Yep, that would be my pick. <laughs> okay. Cal Bush, with his nine wins, leads most of the loop data categories, obviously, but the driver. Uh, the loop data stats point uh, that, let's see, obviously, but the driver, the loop data stats that stack up right behind him in several key categories is junior motorsports driver Daniel Hemrick. Hemrick is ranked second in driver rating at 107.0 average running position. He also has 
4.02, and his fourth fastest in laps run at 38. He's made four series starts at Phoenix, posting two top fives and four top tens, and a series leading average finish of 5.0. That's pretty impressive. Uh, could this be the weekend that he comes up with a victory? Well, I certainly think so. And the way that Junior Motorsports number 18 has been um, led me, kind of led me in that direction looking at his stats. And I know there's some tough competition out there, but I think he's due for a win. I know we talked about that. He doesn't have a win yet in any of the series he's run. So I think it could be this weekend for Daniel Hamrick. Now, okay. I'm going to look at a, a rookie debut, um, and that's going to be Cody Vanderwall. Means Motorsports has called upon the former Arkham Menards Series East and West driver, Cody Vanderwall from LaSalle, LaSalle Colorado. He's going to pilot the number 52 Chevrolet with crew chief Tim Brown. He's primarily spent his time in the West Series, having made 35 starts, posting two wins, eight top fives, and 18 top tens. Vanderwall replaced J.J. Yaley, who has driven the number 52 Means Motorsport Chevrolet for the first three races of the 2020 2020 season, put up an average start of 20.7 and an average finish of 19.7. I think this is kind of where we talked about this. This all ties in. Some of these drivers from the West Coast uh, coming in these combined events get noticed by other owners. Absolutely. Uh, Now, keep in mind, Kyle Busch is racing this weekend, but so is uh, a driver from Penske, and they're stacking the deck with Keselowski. Team Penske has tapped the NASCAR Cup Series driver, Brad Keselowski this weekend to drive the team's second entry, the number 12 Ford at Phoenix Raceway. This weekend will be Keselowski's Xfinity Series season debut, uh, and he's made 20 series starts at Phoenix, posting two wins, 11 top fives, and 14 top tens, along with a pole. So uh, what will he do this weekend at Phoenix Raceway? I'm kind of surprised nobody picked him in our group for the Xfinity race. Uh, you know, and and I thought about that, especially after I saw you t- take Kyle Busch. But, uh, uh, again, Brad's not just not been one that has been dominant when he goes back to the series like Kyle Busch has. So uh, I'm pretty confident I'm going to stick with him, Rick. <laughs> okay. Now, we talked about the other one, though, the win- winningest winner, and that's Kyle Busch, and he is returning. The number of former race winners on the entry list of the LS Tractor 200 at Phoenix has been raised significantly with the word that Kyle Busch will be making his Xfinity Series season debut at Phoenix Raceway. Not only does he hold the record for the most wins in the Xfinity Series all-time with 96, but 11 of his wins came at this weekend's venue, Phoenix Raceway. He's by far the best at Phoenix in the Xfinity Series, leads the series in polls at 9, wins at 11, top 10s at 19, and laps led at 2,156. Now, he's currently tied with NASCAR Hall of Famer Mark Martin who, at Rockingham for the record of the most wins in the NASCAR Xfinity Series at a single track, again, that being 11. So if Bush were to win this weekend, he would break that tie with Mark Martin and become the sole leader in series wins at a single track. They're the only two drivers in series history to win more than 10 times at a single track. Bush's last 33 Xfinity Series career starts, he has won an impressive 16 times, a winning percentage of 
five. That's almost half of the time. Which means half the time he doesn't win. (laughs) So we'll find out what happens this weekend. Okay, now Alfredo has an impressive debut, sharing the number 21 RCR Chevrolet with Myatt Snyder and Kaz Grala this season. Anthony Alfredo made his season debut last weekend at Auto Club Speedway. In impressive fashion, he started 13th in racing up to a 6th place finish. He's scheduled to run 17 races this season. His next time behind the wheel will be in two weeks at Homestead, Miami. All right, and another one going to do a little shifting of cars. Uh, Schneid, I'm Schneider is back with RCR. After a one-race hiatus with the RSS racing last weekend at Auto Club Speedway, Myatt Schneider will be back in the number 21 Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet at Phoenix Raceway. This will be his series track debut at Phoenix. In his first three starts of the season, the 25-year-old has put up an average finish of 20.0. We've seen this work in the past. Uh, these drivers are driving from more than one organization, seat time, experience, and just the knowledge it builds. So hopefully we see that out of Maya Schneider as he continues that throughout the season. Okay. Did we all forget this? No, we didn't. Okay. <laughs> Some news coming out uh, for the Xfinity Series this weekend got a lot of us all excited because NASCAR Hall of Famer Tony Stewart is going to race Xfinity at Indianapolis. Tony Stewart will compete in the NASCAR Xfinity Series race July 4th at Indianapolis Motor Speedway in a Ford Mustang from Stewart Haas Racing. Now keep in mind, this is the road course at Indianapolis. The three-time NASCAR Cup Series champion and 2020 NASCAR Hall of Fame inductee will headline the inaugural Xfinity Series event at Indianapolis on the 2.439-mile, 14-turn road course with the 62-lap race serving as Stewart's 28th overall start at the Brickyard, but his first in the Xfinity Series. Now, Stewart has competed in 18 Brickyard 400s, five Indianapolis 500s, and four IROC Series races. Series Stewart is a two-time Brickyard 400 winner. He did that in 2005 and 2007, and he's a member of the Indianapolis Motor Speedway's Hall of Fame. So uh, this is going to be a very big deal, uh, and I'm sure a race that Tony Stewart got circled on his on his schedule this season. Well, we'll we'll have to check with Mike, you know, since he's our guest tonight. Maybe that'll come up during Hot Topics when he comes on. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, yes, I definitely think it will. I've got it on my list. Now, we're going (laughs) to – yeah. We'll look at the uh, the playoff bubble in the Xfinity Series, the postseason aspirations check, if you will. Uh, Following the third race of the year at Auto Club Speedway, the playoff bubble got particularly bouncy tossing Brandon Brown and Ray Black Jr. from inside the playoff cutoff line to the outside looking in. In the process, Riley Herbst and Alex LeBay each moved up spots into playoff contention. Now, as the series heads to Phoenix this weekend, that track will undoubtedly play a role in deciding the champion at season's end, as it most definitely will, as that's where we'll return for the championship. But look at the standings, the playoff bubbles, now, as it is, Alex LeBay is in that 12th and final spot for the Xfinity Series, sits at 72 points. 
He is 10 points from the next above him. Brandon Brown now, as mentioned, on the outside at 65 is back seven. Ray Black Jr. back eight. Josh Williams having a career year already, back 10. And we talked about Myatt Schneider sitting at 56 is back 16. That's from the playoff bubble. Now, four of the five drivers listed in that above uh, that I just talked about have made series starts at Phoenix Raceway. Brandon Brown leads that group in an average finish at Phoenix with 17.5, followed by LeBay at 21.6, Ray Black Jr., 24.3, and Josh Williams, 24.3 as well. Myatt Snyder mentions he's making his series track debut this weekend. But looking at those numbers so far this year, all of those drivers have far and exceeded those. We'll have to see if that continues at Phoenix. Yeah, I think those uh, previous stats uh, may not hold this weekend at Phoenix. Now, Al Algauer could use some good mojo uh, for Phoenix this weekend. Junior Motorsports veteran Justin Algauer returns to Phoenix Raceway after taking the checkered flag in last season's playoff race to secure his spot in the championship four. Fast forward to this year. Algauer now sits 10th in the points looking for a jolt to his championship run for this season, and Phoenix just might be that spark. In three starts this season, Algauer has only mustered one top ten. That was at Las Vegas, and he has an average finish of, amazingly, uh, I'm surprised at this, just 16.7. But Phoenix has been quite the playground for Algauer as of late. The 33-year-old has made 19 starts at the track, posting two wins, seven top fives, and 12 top tens. His average finish at Phoenix is 8.6. So loop data also supports Algar finding success this weekend at Phoenix. He's ranked third in the driver rating at 105.2. His average running position is 7.587. Fastest laps run is at 213, and he's second in laps led at 334. So we'll see what Algauer can do this weekend if he can jumpstart his uh, run for a championship at Phoenix. Well, and James obviously had faith in him taking him first out the gate. A couple of other picks, we're going to talk about them. Cindric, Sieg, as well as Haley and Chastain keep climbing that standings ladder. While some of the front runners in the 2020 NASCAR Xfinity Series driver standings have had some rough outings at Auto Club Speedway, four drivers that I just mentioned were able to capitalize on those others' misfortune. Team Penske's Austin Sindrick leapfrogged three spots in the driver's standings from sixth to third, following his third-place finish at Auto Club. Now the 21-year-old sets his sights on the series standing lead just 18 points out. And he skidded through Daytona with a 25th-place finish due to an incident, but quickly grabbed a gear at Las Vegas, finishing second, and then third this last weekend at California. Sindrick is one of the early favorites heading into this weekend at Phoenix because he's made four starts there, posting two top fives, three top tens, and an average finish of 7.8. We talked about him. Our, uh, the next one, RSS Racing's Ryan Seat. He's proving he and the number 39 Chevrolet team are true contenders this season for that championship. Seat is currently fourth in the standings, up three spots after finishing fourth at Auto Club his third top 10 finish in as many races. And Sieg is only 24 points back from the series standings lead as they head into Phoenix, and he's made 13 starts at Phoenix, 
posting a best finish of 10th at the one-mile facility, and that's in this race last season. Now, college, ra- college Racing's duo of Justin Haley and Ross Chastain are already seeing the benefits of the two-team full-time operation. Haley is currently fifth in driver standings, up three spots from eighth, following a fifth place at Auto Club, and teammate Chastain, not far behind him in seventh, also up three spots from tenth after fa- or after an eighth place finish this weekend. Now, both college racing drivers are anticipating their luck to continue this weekend. Haley has made two starts at Phoenix Raceway, posting an average finish of 9.5, while Chastain has made nine starts, posting a best finish of 15 in 28. Again, I think those numbers are going to come up as we see that team get their footing under them uh, heading into the rest of the season. Okay, I'm looking at this. We might be able to get this all in, but if we don't, I may uh, be doing a little bit on fanforacing.com to kind of make up for what we miss here. Uh, Now, three drivers are looking forward to moving on from Auto Club Speedway this weekend. Uh, Those drivers are Chase Briscoe, Noah Gregson, and Brandon Jones. All three drop spots in the Xfinity Series point standings after posting their worst finishes of the season thus far. Now, all three look to Phoenix Raceway this weekend to realign their championship focus. Those drivers, uh, let's start with uh, Stuart Haas Racing's Chase Briscoe, who finished 19th at Auto Club Speedway last weekend after a late race spin. And as a result, he lost the series points lead to Harrison Burton, dropping to second in the point standings. He's now 10 points back. Despite the speed bump last Saturday, Briscoe is already having a strong season, posting a win at Las Vegas and two top fives and three starts. With the, with his win, his position in the playoffs all but guaranteed. Now Briscoe's main goal is racking up more wins and playoff points. Expect the 25-year-old to likely bounce back this weekend at Phoenix, where he's made two starts, posting two top ten finishes and an average finish of 7.0. Now, another front runner, front runner heading into last weekend's race at California was junior motorsports driver Noah Gregson. But a mid-race incident with the number 10 of Ross Chastain relegated the Las Vegas negative to a 26th-place finish, his worst of the season. The low finish dropped him a staggering seven points in the top ten in points from second to ninth. Fortunately for Gregson, he won the season opener at Daytona and is already locked into the postseason playoffs. But you can count on Gregson trying to regain his early season momentum this weekend at Phoenix. The 21-year-old has made two series starts on the one-mile raceway, posting an average finish of 10.5. Feeling the biggest punch from last weekend's lackluster finish was Joe Gibbs Racing's Brandon Jones. He dominated the first two stages of the race, leading the first 73 laps of competition and taking home both stage wins. Unfortunately, all that unraveled after getting pushed up the track and into the wall, causing a tire rub during the final stage, resulting in a 30th place finish. Jones' success and the early stages, though, softened the blow to his points total, dropping him just one spot in the points from fifth to sixth. Unlike Briscoe and Gregson, Jones is, is still looking for his first win of the season, which could come this weekend. The 23-year-old has made eight starts at Phoenix, posting two top ten finishes. His average finish at the track is 11.85.
All right, we're going to look at uh, Harrison Burton as well as Joe Gibbs as a whole with the rookies. Burton already setting rookies or records as a rookie. He's the first Sunoco Rookie of the Year candidate to post three top five finishes in many races to start the season. And with that, he's only the has only occurred that event has only occurred uh, 16 times. Burton is the 11th different driver to do it. Joining the likes of Sam Ard, Dale Jarrett, Dale Earnhardt, Harry Gant, Terry Labonte, Kevin Harvick, Carl Edwards, Elliot Sadler, Brad Keselowski, and Kyle Busch. And so he's pick, picked up a win at Auto Club, three top fives. He was second at Daytona and fifth at Las Vegas, and an average finish of 2.7. Uh, the other rookie that I'm talking about there is Riley Herbst. As they finished 1-2 at Auto Club, becoming the youngest 1-2 finish in series history. So as a team, they're kind of finding their footing. Uh, Burton locked himself into the playoffs with the victory, and Riley Herbst's second place finish was a huge boost to his, boost to his championship hunt as he moved up five points from 16th to 11th. So we'll keep an eye on those two throughout the rest of the season. Okay. Um, let's, uh, let's give the overall points in the Xfinity series very quickly. We've got less than a minute here. All right. In the Xfinity series, uh, Sam and I sit atop the leader that, or I'm sorry, Sam and Andy are at nine. Sharon and I are in second or third, technically at six points apiece. Owen's at four and James is at three. Now there, we do have three races so far this weekend being the fourth for the Xfinity series. Okay, uh, we will go ahead now and move on to the Cup Series at Phoenix Raceway. They are racing the FanShield 500 on Sunday, March the 8th at 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, pre-race coverage will be on Fox starting at 2.30 p.m. Eastern, a radio coverage on MRN and Sirius XM NASCAR Radio. They're racing a distance of 312 miles over... 312 laps, and uh, that 312 miles, by the way, equates to 500 kilometers, if you're wondering where the 500 comes in. Stage one and stage two are 75 laps each, or are they? I don't know that that is 75 laps. Um, Lap one ends on 75. Lap two ends on 190. Lap 190, the last last stage ending on the last lap, 312. Last year's race winner was Kyle Busch. All right, and for the Sunoco Rookie of the Year on the Cup Series side, this is a big one. We got six drivers, Tyler Reddick, John Hiring, Chip Colcaster, Brennan Poole, Christopher Bell, and Quinn Huff all battling it out. Now, last weekend in California, the two-time Xfinity Series champion Tyler Reddick tied fellow Sunoco Rookie of the Year contender John Hunter Nemechek's season-high watermark, finishing 11th. In the process, took the uh, Rookie of the Year standing lead by just four points. In fact, three rookies are in top 25s this last Sunday. Cole Custer was 18th in his home state of California, and Nemechek 25th. Twice now at Las Vegas and Auto Club, uh, Reddick, as the driver of the number eight Richard Childress Racing Chevrolet, has been the top finishing rookie. It's been an adjustment for this class of rookies as none of the first-year drivers are ranked among the NASCAR 
Cup Series top 20 in the driver's standings just three races in. But Reddick leads them right 23rd, again with a four-point edge on front row motorsports driver John Hunter Nemechek, who's in 24th. Stuart Haas Racing's Cole Custer is 26, 11 points behind. Reddick Premium Motorsports' Brendan Poole, driver of the number 15 Chevrolet, is 29th, 10 points behind Custer. Christopher Bell, driver of the number 95 Levine Family Racing, is currently ranked 32nd in the series standings, 32 points behind leader Tyler Reddick for rookie. And Quinn Huff rounds out that standings in 6th, 34th overall in the driver's standings, 47 points back from Reddick. We know the biggest surprise thus far is Ben Bell's slow start, but could turn around at Phoenix Raceway. He won an Xfinity race there in 2018. He's led 259 laps in the last four races there and swept the pole position at the two races last year, but that came in the Xfinity series. Now, Reddick, he'll be hard to catch as the Californian has four top ten finishes and five Xfinity series starts there with the best showing of third in both of the 2019 races. Custer was runner-up in the 2019 Xfinity playoff race there, finished top 10 in his last five races at the track. Nemechek is a perfect three-for-three in Xfinity Series finishes. He won the pole position in his first start in 2018, was a career-best fourth in his last race there last November. Now, he did make his Cup Series debut at Phoenix last November and finished 27th. Huff actually made his first NASCAR Cup Series start at Phoenix last March, finishing 30th. He was 29th in the November Xfinity Series race there. Reddick, Custer, Poole, and Bell all making their Cup Series track debut at Phoenix this weekend. So rookie class going to be a big one to watch. Okay. Now, Joe Gibbs Racing is shifting gears uh, three races into the 2020 season in last year's Dominant. Joe Gibbs Racing team is still working to capture some of that incredible mojo that resulted in a modern-day NASCAR Cup Series record of 19 victories for the four-driver team. JGR is actually on a very similar pace this year to 2019 this year. Denny Hamlin has matched his Daytona 500 victory. Kyle Busch heads to Phoenix Raceway as the defending winner. The big if is whether the organization can equal the toward early season pace that it set last year, one year ago. By the 10th race of the 2019 schedule, Joe Gibbs Racing drivers had already hoisted six trophies. Hamlin won at Daytona and then Texas. Bush won at Phoenix, California, and Bristol, and Martin Truex Jr. earned his first race of the, his first win of the season, uh, the best uh, seven wins at Richmond. Now this year the pace is just a little bit slower. Hamlin leads the team with a seventh place finish in the driver standings with a Daytona victory and a sixth place finish at Auto Club Speedway over the weekend. Truex is ranked 13th and has yet to earn a top 10 finish. His best showing is a 14th place at California. Now, Jones has made 
has only one top 10 finish and is now ranked 18th in the overall driver standings. He's 55 points behind the leader, who is Ryan Blaney. And Bush, the reigning NASCAR Series Series champion, just broke into the top 20 in the Series point standings. With a runner-up finish at California, his only top 10 of the year, he's ranked 19th in Trails Blaney by 57 points. Truex said he's encouraged by the new technical rules package for Phoenix, likening it to the 2018 cars, and remains optimistic about his chances this weekend. So uh, that's going to be interesting to see if JGR can kind of up their game and kind of uh, turn the ship, if you will, at Phoenix. Well, an entire team that has to be encouraged as well as Mike. I know he's an HMS fan, but Hendrick Motorsports has had a resurgence. If there's one team that would be mighty happy to head west, it was probably Hendrick Motorsports. Alex Bowman's statement making victory at last Sunday at Auto Club led the best full team showing for the organization of the year. Bowman led 110 of the 200 laps en route to his second career win. Chase Elliott was fourth, and seven-time champion Jimmy Johnson was seventh. They also had top ten efforts in California, and the team's youngest member, 22-year-old William Byron, earned his first top 20 of the season with a 15th place finish. Now, the victory propelled Bowman to a career-best early season position in the standings. He's third, 12 points behind leader Ryan Blaney, but does have the victory in the bank. Johnson, who's competing in his final full-time season, is fifth in the driver's standings, only 16 points behind Blaney. Elliott is a single point behind Johnson in sixth, and Byron has climbed back into the 20th, into 20th in the standings. Now, the positive momentum seems likely to continue on the final stop of NASCAR's western swing here, the one-mile Phoenix Raceway site of this weekend's Fan Shield 500. Johnson, driver the number 48, HMS Chevrolet leads the team there with four wins, three poles, his 15 top fives and 21 top tens, including three runner-up finishes, are marked second only to the track's all-time leader or all-time best, Kevin Harvick. Johnson's driver rating of 105.2, second best in the field this week as well, to Harvick's 110.5, and his average finish at 10.3. Now, Johnson was eighth in this race last year. Elliott, driver of the number nine Chevrolet, has an impressive four top ten finishes and eight starts there. Twice he finished top five, including a career-best effort of runner-up in the 2017 playoff race. He was 14th in the race last year. Now, the Tucson native Alex Bowman, driver now of the number 88 Chevrolet, won the pole position for the 2016 playoff race, while he was filling in for the injured Dale Earnhardt Jr. His sixth-place finish and 194 laps led in that race, a personal high at his home state track. He's had a rough last few outings, getting collected in crashes in two of the last three races, and took a DNF in the race last year, finishing 35th after being involved in an incident. Now, Byron, the youngest of the team and driver of the number 24 Chevrolet, has one top 10 finish in four previous starts at Phoenix, earning a ninth place in the 2018 playoff race. His 15 laps led in his very first Cup Series race try on the Desert Mile are his only laps out front to date. Keep an eye on Hendrick Motorsports and that Chevrolet this weekend at Phoenix. 
All right. But the Phoenix of Phoenix has to be Kevin Harvick. Now, Stuart House Racing's Kevin Harvick holds a special distinction of being his generation's most dominant driver of the week, of this week's Phoenix Raceway. With an unequaled nine victories on the Desert One Miler, including an unprecedented four straight victories from 2013 to 15. Harvick has led the most laps at 1,595 and is in the and in his last 16 Phoenix races, he's only finished outside the top 10 one time. He hasn't finished worse than ninth since 2013. He is the only driver in series history to win consecutive races there uh, multiple times. Now, the winner of the number four, I'm sorry, the driver of the number four Stuart Haas Racing Ford has seven of his nine victories and a pair of runner-up finishes in just the last. 15 races. Essentially, every other race he's won or finished second in that time. His 110.5 driver rating rating is understandably at the top among the competition, and he's averaging a 9.2 finish. The only driver in the top 16 in the driver standings with an average finish inside the top 10. His loop data stats are quite impressive as well. Okay, we're getting a lot of background noise there. It are quite impressive as well. His average running position is 8.418. Laps in the top 15 are 7,814, are also best in the field this weekend. In the three races since the track's repave in 2018, however, Harvick has two fifth-place finishes and a ninth-place showing and has led 73 laps all in the 2018 playoff race. Very uncharacteristically, though, the 2014 NASCAR Cup Series champion has not led a lap in the last two Phoenix races. Now, Harvick shows up this weekend as the only driver in the series to have earned top 10 finishes in the opening three races of 2020. He is fourth in the driver standings and trails points leader Ryan Blaney by 12 markers after the California race. So uh, it's going to be interesting to see what Harvick does this weekend. Uh, the last two races, as they said, have not necessarily been his best there, but uh, he's pretty good at Phoenix overall. Still obviously worthy of a top pick consideration, but another one, it's just talked about him, Ryan Blaney leading the points. He's been close, but still searching for the first win of the season. The Team Penske's uh, driver heads to Phoenix Raceway atop the series championship standings, 11 points up on teammate Joey Logano in second. And he's eager to fortify that points lead with a race winner's trophy. And he's been so, so close. Driver of the number 12 Penske, Team Penske Ford, had to pit from second place with only three laps remaining in Sunday's race at California last weekend, ultimately putting him in the 19th finishing position. Dating back to last season at Talladega, he's made eight starts since his victory, his last victory. But he can take some solace in this season's early work. He's the only driver to lead laps in every race, four the Daytona 500, 19 at Las Vegas, and 54 at California, for a total of 77 laps out front, which is the fifth most this season. Plus, he leads the season in average running position, 
with a 6.3. And as these performances would indicate, Blaney is capable of running up front and playing into the victory. He, talking to reporters uh, after Sunday's race, there's a lot to be gained by that strong start and that he doesn't hang on to disappointment. So we'll see how uh, this weekend plays out at Phoenix. But with that points lead and four top ten finishes in eight previous starts at Phoenix, he's ready for that race in the desert. Third place finishes in both the Phoenix races last year, and he's a two-time Phoenix pole winner, out-qualifying the field in the 2017 playoff race and again in this race last spring. Like many of his competitors, he's eager to get some laps in at Phoenix, which now, for the first time, will host the championship race this year on November 8th. So that's going to be a big factor as well as we look at that this weekend, that that we will be returning here for the championship race. Okay. Now, Phoenix might be the jewel of the desert, but for Joe Gibbs Racing, it's Kyle Busch. For the second consecutive week, Kyle Busch shows up at the NASCAR Cup Series track as the defending race winner, though Joe Gibbs Racing driver is still winless so far this season. He arrives at Phoenix Raceway for Sunday's Fan Shield 500, looking to continue a positive upswing after a rough couple of early season outings. The reigning Cup Series champion has finished either first or second in the last four races at the Phoenix One Miler, and this weekend he's the defending winner of both weekends, Cup Series and Xfinity Series races. Bush, the driver of the number 18 for JGR, enters Sunday's race ranked 19th in the point standings, throwing out the 2015 season uh, when he was injured. This is the lowest he's been after the first three races of the season since 2005 rookie campaign, 20, in which he was 22nd after the first three races. But Phoenix certainly gives an op- a reason for optimism and an opportunity for him to establish his championship game. Now, Bush has won two of the three races since the one-mile Phoenix track was re-envisioned with a facelift and new configuration in late 2018. In total, he's made 29 series starts at Phoenix, posting three wins in 05, 18, and 19, 11 top fives, and 21 top tens. His 1,199 Led is second only to the nine-time Phoenix winner, Kevin Harvick, uh, who has 1,595 laps out front. Last spring, Bush led 177 of 312 laps en route to a 1.25-second lead over his JGR teammate, Martin Truex. A win His win a day earlier in the Xfinity Series race marked the largest margin of victory at 3.025 seconds ahead of Truex's younger brother, Ryan Truex. Now, Bush is optimistic. His first top 10 finish of the season last week at California was a positive sign of better days ahead. So, with that, Jay, let's talk about our overall point standings in the Cup Series for our fantasy group. Well, and I, I might be the one kicking myself uh, here with the, with the stats there on Kyle Busch because, like I said, when I when I got down to my pick going last, I flipped the coin between him and Denny Hamlin, and I just Denny Hamlin's oh. had a little bit stronger run all season so far, so gave him the edge there on the uh, coin toss. <laughs> oh, okay, well, it's still a good pick. 
All right. For the Cup Series, uh, this one I do lead. Uh, it's really interesting. I know we've got a tie in the Xfinity Series, but that gives us four different points leader over the three series. So I got this one at 19. Andy right behind me at 17. James and Sharon tied at 11. Sam is at 9. And Owen at 4. Um, again, great start to the year. I know Owen's missing a couple of races. So although his points look a little low, they're really not because he did miss a uh, one in each series in the Cup Series, actually, I think four based on what we do for Daytona. So uh, that'll all level itself out here as we get towards midseason and again into the playoffs. Absolutely. Uh, now, I do want to give a couple of programming notes real quick here before we move on to our NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off at the top of the hour. Uh, we announced on Monday uh, that our guest for next Monday's show is uh, Bill McAnally, the team owner of Bill McAnally Racing in the Arkham Menard Series West. And uh, he's also a uh, uh, co-owner for a Gander Outdoor Truck Series team this year. And uh, we're definitely looking forward to chatting with him about the 2020 season and the new configuration with the Marco Menard series this season. Uh, he's got uh, several uh, new drivers under his uh, tutelage, if you will, in the Arkham Menard series West. So uh, definitely uh, this is going to be a fun conversation with Bill McAnally Racing on Monday night. He's scheduled to be on at 9 p.m. Eastern time if you want to mark your calendars for that. And uh, we'll, we'll We'll uh, definitely look forward to that show. So we also hope that we're able to get the winner of the showdown race uh, on our show for that 840 time slot. So uh, stay tuned for any news on that regard as well. I certainly look forward to that that interview. I know I got a chance to talk to him at, uh, I believe it was Memphis, uh, when I did an article there on him and his team last year about that again the development he does with drivers so be a great interview to come monday night definitely so okay we are at the top of the hour and that means it is now time for nascar hot topic sound off a uh, lively discussion with our fan for racing crew and uh, joining us as a guest uh, on our conversation this week uh, tonight is uh, mike oh welcome to the show mike Hey, Sharon. Thanks for having me. Well, we're real excited to have you on the show tonight. Uh, we get into some lively discussion, uh, all all in good nature here. And uh, I'm going to go ahead, uh, Jay, since uh, Andy's not here today, I'm going to let you kind of lead off with the first hot topic tonight. Well, I know uh, a message with him earlier when we talked about having him on. I will defer to our guest here. I know uh, we kind of had the same list, as I'm sure we all do, but I'll, I'll let Mike pick which one he wants to start with. Well, we've got big news okay, and we've got big drama, right? So big news is the uh, the shakeup of the Speed Week schedule for, uh, for 2021. Uh, I'm sure everyone saw that they're condensing everything down from uh, – the previous model, which spanned over 11 days, over two weekends, down to six days, starting on Tuesday with the Clash. And the Clash is now going to be run on the Daytona infield road course, basically the same course that the IMSA guys run for the Rolex 24. Um, so I really like that move. I think it's a great move. 
Uh, the past few years, it's become a, a bigger and bigger and bigger problem with the clash, where the clash has just basically become a test session for the Daytona 500 for the first 90% of the race, and then kind of an embarrassing pileup for that last little, you know, however many laps are left. The length of the race is really irrelevant. The guys are going to treat it like a test session until the end, and then they're just going to wreck all the cars at the end of the race. Um, so moving it away from there, breaking it from being a test session for the Daytona 500 and giving fans something different to watch, I think, was a move in the very right direction for that. Okay, Jay, your thoughts? Well, there there are several aspects to this, and, and Mike hit on a couple of them. First off, shortening it up and making it a more viable uh, trip if you wanted to catch all the events, I think, is a good thing. Uh, talking about the that race being a test session for the 500, which kind of gives an advantage. That's always kind of been there. And I do like the fact that they uh, check or uh, change that up a little bit and give something different um, with that. So I think that is a good move. If it doesn't particularly work, you can always go back to it. Um, and, and like Mike said, you know, the, the clash itself, especially this past season, really was kind of just a wreck fest there at the end. So it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, I like the fact that they're making changes and trying something different. There, There's two aspects to that portion of it, though, that I wanted to address. Uh, one being that it's going to be on the infield road course, which I can relate to the Roval and now the infield road course at India as well that they're going to do with the Xfinity Series. I always hear that you know one or two of something is makes it unique if you start doing it all the time it becomes mundane and then that the liking of it and the uniqueness of it goes away. And I go back as far as when they had the first race under the lights, fans screamed for night racing. All of a sudden we had seven or eight night races and they didn't want to be racing at night anymore. They still wanted their, their afternoon races. Same with road courses. Now it's the road courses on tracks that have the oval, the infield road courses are oval. So I'm a little concerned there that we might be overdoing it, oversaturating it. Um, and then I'll let you guys respond on that, and then I want to bring something else up as it pertains to that, but I'll let you guys go forth on, on that. Okay. Well, I think you're right, Let Jay. me kind of chime here. Let me chime in here with my thoughts here. Sure. And then we'll go around a second time for everybody to give kind of a rebuttal or, uh, you know, additional information. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of on the category of I kind of like this idea. I've watched races from the infield at Daytona. And that's what the road course is going to do for a lot of the fans that are going to this race. Uh, They're going to be able to watch a lot of the racing right from the infield at Daytona, and I think that's going to bring a whole different aspect uh, to the racing there. Jay, I understand where you're coming from with uh, the worry about us taking it too far, Uh, but I, I think both the road course at Daytona and the road course at Um, Indianapolis are good moves if they don't go beyond that I think we're going to be okay because we've got the road course uh, the Roval if you will at Charlotte Motor Speedway but uh, I think if they leave it at that this is an exhibition race uh, and I think it's going to be a fun exhibition race to watch Um, and uh, we need to keep that in mind so it's and it's a road course race 
And I think the road course racing has, is equating itself to short track racing in the most recent years. It's gotten more and more exciting as the drivers have become more and more proficient at the road course races. So I think, again, that this is a good move. Um, with regard to shortening the week, uh, there used to be two full weeks for uh, speed weeks at Daytona for the NASCAR uh, races. I think this also is a good move for a couple of reasons. One, NASCAR is looking for ways to de- cut down the cost of doing business, and this is one way to do that. Uh, the second reason is is that there's a cost for fans as well when you spread it out over two weeks. Now, I know some fans have planned their two-week vacation around that, but they can still take a two-week vacation and enjoy one week uh, if, if they're still able to do that and enjoy that one week of speed weeks at Daytona. There's plenty to do in that Daytona area. Uh, so uh, I, I think from that perspective, it's a good move as well. So, Mike, let's go to you first for the next round here. I know you had something sure. more you wanted to say. Uh, you still Are we still talking about Daytona? Or are you going to move on to the next subject? Yes. Nope, nope, nope. We're still talking about uh, the same topic. So yeah, with uh, with Jay's point about it, you know, too much of a good thing. He's he's absolutely right. Most of these uh, these oval tracks that we go to, Auto Club, um, Pocono, Homestead, uh, a bunch of others, also have infield road courses, and it can get really tempting to look at and go, hey, that's something we could do differently. Especially the place that has two dates like Pocono. But I think Jay's exactly right. We can have too much of a good thing. Unfortunately, as NASCAR is trying to broaden out and diversify the kinds of tracks that they have, they're running into issues. Uh, with ownership agreements, long-term race agreements as far as how you know, a track is going to have a certain number of race dates per year. Uh, it's been alleviated a little bit with the, uh, the merger between NASCAR and ISC, but that still exists. So we'll have to see the 2021 schedule to see exactly how much uh, of that normal mold they're going to break. I don't expect it to be as radical of a change as maybe some people are thinking because you look at most of the tracks that NASCAR doesn't go to, they can't go to. And it has to do with the logistics of that. Barber Motorsports Park, uh, just outside of Birmingham, is a great example. The IndyCars uh, run there in March, and it's a phenomenal facility. And I think the track would be really suitable to NASCAR, but there's no hotels in the area until you go into Birmingham uh, or over to Talladega with the hotels that are there to support that track. Um, There's very little parking there. There's very little grandstands there. Um, So even a great facility like Barber would struggle to host a NASCAR Cup Series race because of the lack of infrastructure that's there. So it's going to, once again, it forces uh, the planners at NASCAR to be more creative with the resources that they have, which I think is what's making these infield road courses so tempting. Okay, Jay? Well, that's, a, that's a very good point. Uh, I know you haven't been uh, with us. Uh, I don't remember when this came up, though, and I wish Andy were on tonight. We'd talk about the Jay Hoosman Cup, but... <laughs> We talked about Barber Motorsports doing something in conjunction with Talladega on a weekend uh, over a two-day period of doing Barber Motorsports road course one day and then Talladega the next. Um, That's one thing to it. And I know I've talked about it a little bit amongst this group, but I I talked about it even on a dirt track. Um, Today on NASCAR Motormouth, trying to think of the name of the show, Motormouth on NASCAR NBC, Brian from Tennessee called in and hit on something that I'd like to see. Kyle Petty was all in favor of it. If we're going to do something, the, the Bush Clash, Clash is an exhibition race, and I know they only sponsor the pole position for 
the Cup Series, but I think it would be really cool, um, as he mentioned, to do something involving all three series. Take the pole winners from all three series, run them on the Daytona infield course, and they, in the Grand Am style, like to do the Rolex of 24. Multiple classes, same race, you're running for your class only, but you have a mixture of classes on the same track between the trucks, Xfinity, and Cup. And I think something like that would be a great addition if this continues um, to be a good thing, you know, this being the test year on it, or next year being the test year on it. Um, adding something like that I think would be really cool. Now, would that still be an exhibition race, Jay? Absolutely, and that, and that is one thing I will say about this. With the Bush Clash being an exhibition race, you know, it's not a points race or anything. I, that's why I said I don't mind it going to the infield uh, course. Um, that, that and the all-star races are ones where they can toy with this idea because it is an exhibition race. So um, I don't want to see them do it to add more races because I know right now they're trying to shorten the year. So doing it in an right. event like this it is the way to go, and I do like that. Okay, you guys both bring up some really uh, interesting points, and that's why we like hot, NASCAR Hot Topic Sound Off. Uh, and uh, I really can't add anything more to it than what I've already said and what you guys have already said. So I'm ready to go ahead and move on to the next topic. So, Jay, let's go ahead and kick it off. All right. Well, I know this one was on everybody's list as well. We're talking about road course, or the infield course of tracks. One being this year the Xfinity Series is going to do at Indianapolis uh, Motor Speedway. We got news, uh, was it earlier today or yesterday, that Tony Stewart is going to be a part of that. And I know right now, and I don't want to be a negative person, but I'm excited about Tony Stewart doing it. I love it, as has all the other fans. My only issue there is how come Tony Stewart gets fanfare if Kyle Busch were to announce he's running an Xfinity Series race, he gets booed. So that's my only <laughs> issue with that. But I think it's great Tony's coming back. I love to see it. I know there's been talk about Junior still runs once a, once in a while, one a year. Uh, Jeff Gordon possibly doing some. I think it's great. And for to see Tony Stewart do it in Indianapolis, I mean, you can't ask for anything more than that. Okay, Mike, I'm really curious to hear what you have to say about this. I've got no objection to it. I think Tony Stewart, just having the name there, is going to be great for publicity for the for the show. I think it's going to get a lot of a lot of people watching. I will say people probably should be cautious about their expectations for it. Obviously, Tony Stewart's our NASCAR Hall of Fame driver, phenomenal career, three-time champion in the Cup Series but he's been out of the race car for two years. And you saw just what six months out of the car did for Jeff Gordon's competitiveness. So Tony Stewart would be great to have on the track, but I don't know if I'd pick him for my fantasy team. Okay. Interesting thoughts there. Okay. I agree. I think it's a good thing uh, to have Tony Stewart come race on the road course at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I think he's wanted to do that for a long time. Uh, people forget this is his home track uh, at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, and I think that's part of the reason he wants to race again at that track. Uh, I was in Indianapolis when Tony Stewart won a cup race there, and it was a big deal. Uh, he has a lot of fans. I think turn two is uh, Tony Stewart fan seating, and uh, a lot of folks are over there. He actually did some of his burnouts over in that turn because he knew he had uh, a bunch of fans over in turn two. And uh, I, I think 
this is going to be a great thing for Indianapolis Motor Speedway to have him race the Xfinity Series race there. Um, and I agree. I understand what you're saying about why people get so upset about Kyle Busch racing in the Xfinity Series, but they're not upset about Tony. I think there's a huge difference. Tony does it very rarely. Uh, Kyle Busch is limited in what he can do because if he could, he'd be racing every weekend in all three series. Um, and uh, NASCAR had to, to limit that. Uh, but this is going to be a big deal, Tony Stewart racing at Indianapolis Motor Speedway, a very historic track. If you've ever been at that track, it gives you goosebumps as you walk into the facility because of all the racing that has taken place at that track. And so Tony Stewart is a part of that history, uh, being a part of the Indianapolis 500 at that track on several occasions. And now he's going to be racing the Xfinity Series there. Uh, I think it's going to be bring great attention to the track, and I think it's going to be a lot of fun for fans. Jay? Well, okay. The the one thing I will say this, again, I, I like the move of, in their case, going to the infield uh, course. That was one where I, I'm really torn. When they first moved the Xfinity Series race from what is now Lucas uh, Oil Raceway, yeah. used to be ORP and IRP, I didn't like the fact of Xfinity coming there. The racing through that stretch wasn't extremely good. The one thing I, I look at is that's where the first package, uh, change in the downforce package came. The Xfinity race went really well with it. We had much better racing, and they were building off that, moved it to the Cup Series. Now they're taking the Xfinity Series out of it, which I think was producing the better of the two with that package in style. So, I'm not sure that was the right way to go, but I do like the fact that, again, they are trying something different. Again, personally, I'd kind of like to see them back over at ORP, or Lucas Oil Raceway, sorry, um, on a short track. So uh, the fact that they, they were making the uh, oval itself work with the Xfinity Series first now kind of took it away from them, but I also know that it sets the field for things they can try with the Cup Series and for the future. So, like I said, I'm kind of on the fence there, but I, I certainly look forward to it, and I, I do look forward to seeing Tony Stewart in it, whether he wins or not, just being there, knowing that, like you said, the fanfare with him, that being his home track. Okay, any follow-up, Mike? No, um, I agree with Jay, where the uh, the racing product at Indianapolis, both for the Cup Series and the Xfinity Series, has been let's say lacking to put it diplomatically, um, which is, you know, back to our previous discussion, it makes Indy really, really tempting to use that infield road course for the cup series as well. Um, and it's going to have to be a decision that people are going to have to make, whether they want to stay on the side of tradition and stay on the oval course, even though the racing product on track may not be the best or try something a little bit more radical and take them over to the road course. It's no secret that the, uh, the ratings and the, uh, the grandstand attendance at Indianapolis has been substantially lower over the past few years. So I'm sure there's a lot of pressure to try and increase interest in that race. It's being sold as a marquee kind of a crown jewel race, but what the on-track product is just not delivering the promises that are made via the marketing for that race right now. Yeah, uh, I've been at that track. It is a huge, huge track, and it is very tempting to do the road course there, but I think it will improve the product. I really do. 
and and I don't know. I know there's a golf course inside uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, I, I, it's going to be interesting for me to see how they arrange uh, for fans to watch this race, uh, and if they're able to watch it from the infield like they do, will be able to at uh, Daytona, uh, and that's something that I'm going to be looking at for that race uh, at at uh, Indianapolis. But uh, uh, you know, I, I applaud NASCAR for thinking outside the box and trying to come up with something to improve the product at Indianapolis Motor Speedway. As historic as that track is, uh, they have been struggling. I was also at the race where they had to pit every 10 laps because the tire kept wearing. Yeah. And that was yeah. one of the worst races I've ever been to. So, you know, I didn't have a, a radio at the time, and it was hard figuring out what the heck was going on uh, on the racetrack with that. So uh, I'm, I'm glad to see NASCAR doing some things to keep Indianapolis on the schedule, and I think this just might be the, the thing that's going to make that happen. So, uh, Jay, any follow-up on your end? Uh, yeah, two things there. Uh, I guess I want to say I feel bad for you, and I feel fortunate for myself. My son and I, Dalton, we were at India, the Brickyard 400 the year before the tire debacle. So, um, the other the other thing you mentioned there, the golf the golf course, and just for the fans listening, there is a golf course there that does go through part of the infield uh, of Indianapolis Motor Speedway. I thought that'd be really cool to try, no matter what the cost. Uh, I think we were there, got there on Thursday or Friday, I don't remember, uh, prior to the weekend. And I called. They asked what race team I was with. I said, I'm not with a race team. I'm, you know, personal fan here. They told me to call back on Tuesday. So <laughs> that course uh, for the weekend is limited as far as if you can get in. I'll just tell you that. Okay. Okay, uh, let's go ahead and move on to our next topic. I'm going to bring it up, uh, this one. Uh, I, I saw that Tony, not Tony, <laughs> Jimmy Johnson, who is retiring at the close of the 2020 season from the NASCAR Cup Series uh, with at least uh, seven championships under his belt. Uh, we'll see how he does for the rest of this season. But um, he's testing in an IndyCar and uh, with McLaren uh, in an IndyCar, and I think he might be thinking about uh, doing some IndyCar racing when he leaves NASCAR Cup Series. I wanted to get your guys' thoughts about that. Jay, we'll start with you on that one. Well, we had kind of heard rumors about this already as we we, we approached his uh, impending retirement, the final decision that that was made. Uh, That had come up a couple of times already, Obviously, there is there was some smoke to that fire, um, as you said. He was, it will be testing. I know Mike mentioned it. I believe that testing will be at Barber Motorsports over here next uh, outside of Birmingham. Um, so I'm trying to find the date on that because I think that'd be interesting to go over and watch, um, see how he does with it. It's one of those where just because a driver is retiring from full time NASCAR Cup racing doesn't mean they don't have other interests and we've seen this with some others so i think it's a cool thing and i know they interviewed um one of the drivers on nascar america that the crossover and just the involvement then of multiple sports it's no or multiple racing leagues if you will it's no longer us against you it's what can we do together and we saw that back in the day when with aj floyd mario andretti coming into the daytona 500 we've seen some nascar drivers do the indy 500 uh, charlotte double 
I think we need to get back to more of that. And me personally, I think it needs to involve dirt tracking as well. So I'll leave it at that. But that crossover of it's not, it's, it's racing to me, it's racing. Yes, there's differences, but to me, it's still racing and I love racing. Yeah. That was Joseph Newgarden. Uh, What are your thoughts? Uh, well, Jimmy's made it no Mike. secret that he has. Yeah, Jimmy's made it no secret that he uh, he plans to keep racing in some capacity, just not as a full time Cup Series driver. So it's really no surprise that he's going to be testing in an Indy car. Uh, he's also mentioned uh, doing off road trucking again, back where he started uh, prior to getting into stock car racing. So it wouldn't surprise me to see him out there racing a truck through the desert. Or knowing Jimmy Johnson, he might get into bicycle racing as well. Um, remember, he did that test with Fernando Alonso two years ago in Bahrain, uh, where they did the car swap out there, and I think that may have uh, may have given Jimmy a little bit of a spark. I think the only thing he's ruled out is he's not going to do open wheel oval course driving, so that's probably going to rule Jimmy out of the Indy 500 uh, and maybe Iowa. But other than that, I think the world is uh, is kind of wide open. And when you're a seven time NASCAR Cup Series champ, when when you pick up the phone and call somebody, they're going to answer it. Um, there's kind of, kind of what Jay was talking about. There's kind of the stigma, all oh, the NASCAR guys, all they can do is drive around in circles. But I think that's kind of fallen apart a little bit. You've seen, especially in recent years, Jeff Gordon winning the Rolex 24 with Wayne Taylor racing. And then Kyle Busch being very competitive in this year's Rolex 24, uh, as well as previous years, AJ Allmendinger coming in and being part of a winning Rolex 24 hour team. Um, there's you know, that stigma of these hicks can only make left turns is kind of falling apart a little bit for the betterment of all sports. You know, NASCAR drivers are some of the best drivers in the world, regardless of what they get behind the wheel on, they're going to be competitive. And I think Jimmy Johnson is going to surprise a lot of people where you're going to have a retired cup series driver come in and maybe be very competitive in a different discipline of racing. Yeah, I got to agree with you, Mike. I think uh, Jimmy's going to surprise a lot of people if he gets into the IndyCar racing and, and some of the other racing uh, that you're talking about there. I think that we are going to see him be uh, probably as successful, if not more successful, in some of these other series. So I'm looking forward to it. Joseph Newgarden is the driver that was on uh, NASCAR America this afternoon, and he talked about that crossover and how exciting that is for all of racing. He's not a fan of just IndyCar. He watches NASCAR races, uh, just like NASCAR drivers watch IndyCar racing. So, uh, And the same with fans. Fans watch a lot of those different series. And I think... Uh, for those fans that are not currently watching IndyCar or some of these other series that Jimmy's thinking about getting into, think about the legion of Jimmy Johnson fans that will now watch those series simply because Jimmy Johnson is now racing in those series. So I think it's absolutely a great uh, thing to see Jimmy Johnson not ending his racing career, uh, even though he might be uh, ending his NASCAR Cup career. Uh, I I think he still has a lot of uh, success uh, that can come to him as a race car driver, and uh, I can't think of a driver who's more physically fit than Jimmy Johnson, and uh, I I think it's going to be a really great thing uh, to see him go into some of these other series, and I think he'll bring a whole bunch of fans with him. So uh, these other series have to be excited uh, to hear that Jimmy Johnson, what he's considering as he – ends one chapter and opens the book on a new chapter. So, Jay, any follow-up there? 
Well, and I can't think of a better ambassador to do so uh, following a, a NASCAR Cup career, seven-time champion, um, to do some stuff like that to cross-promote. And I know Quentin just messaged me, and I, I know Mike mentioned it apparently, and his, uh, Jimmy's wife's name is Chandra. Is that correct? Chandra, yeah. I guess, I guess that's the one where the uh, no oval racing uh, is coming into play, uh, as Quentin mentioned. So we'll have to see if it, it comes into an Indy 500 start or not. But I do like the idea of seeing him run some road courses. Um, he's proven very adept at the road course racing as well. So, But like I said, you can't ask for a better ambassador to do some of this crossover stuff and get cross-promotion going between the two different brands of racing. Okay, uh, Mike, before we give you a chance for your follow-up, I'm going to go ahead and do our uh, weekly uh, commentary here about coming up to the 1030 mark on our show. Uh, When we come to that 1030 mark, we go off the air uh, at that point, but we do continue recording the rest of the conversation. That means for fans that have listened up to this point, uh, once the podcast becomes available all you have to do is fast forward to that two-hour mark and you can hear the rest of the conversation from our fan for racing crew here on our hot topics Uh, for podcast listeners you'll be able to listen straight through but we don't like uh, to leave anybody in the lurch if they're listening for the first time and we go off the air in mid-sentence so we usually make this announcement to make sure fans are not taken by surprise at 10 30 p.m eastern time so with that mike i do want to hear your comments uh in follow-up really i got nothing more to add on jimmy johnson i agree with jay wholeheartedly jimmy would be a great ambassador for the sport i don't know that he's going to have enough time to rack up 83 wins and seven championships in indycar <laughs> um but i would i would be uh, very happy if you if jimmy just shows up and is competitive in the indycars i think that's going to go a long way for uh, promoting NASCAR, and hopefully, like Jay said, bring a bunch of Jimmy Johnson fans over to put eyes on IndyCar because their on-track product is phenomenal. Uh, I've watched – I'm primarily a NASCAR fan, but I've watched several IndyCar races over the past couple of years, and since the merger, the quality of their product on track has increased year over year over year. Um, very competitive racing, very entertaining racing, and I think uh, NASCAR fans would do themselves a favor to watch more of it. Absolutely agree. I, too, have watched a few uh, IndyCar races, and they've always been fascinating. I've actually gone to IndyCar races when they used to race at uh, Chicagoland Speedway. It broke my heart uh, when they decided to stop racing there in the IndyCar uh, because I enjoyed it so much. Uh, But let's go ahead now and move on to the next topic. And, Mike, that brings us back to you. So what's our next topic here? Well, here's the big drama hot topic for the night. We have Brian France, the former president and CEO of NASCAR, suing Jim Steele, or I think his name is John Steele, who runs the Twitter account Drunken Brian France. Um, This account has been around since 2014, operating under that handle, and there's – I can't find a a tangible connection between Mr. Steele and the industry, but he's got to have some sort of third-party connection because he's broken some of the biggest stories in NASCAR over the past few years. Most recently, he was the person who was reporting about uh, Brad Keselowski going to the 48 car. 
Um, previously, I, uh, he was one of the first people to start talking about Stuart Haas racing going to Ford. Um, so he's got some sort of insight in there. Now, the contention from Brian France, the real Brian France, is that this account is trying to impersonate him and tarnish his good name. I disagree. Because if for no other reason, in order to have your good name tarnished, you need to have a good name to begin with, and it's debatable whether Brian France does or not. But on top of that, this is very clearly a parody account. It says so right in the account description that it's a parody account, and anybody who looks at it and can't figure out that it's a parody account is got to wear your helmet on the school bus kind of special. So that's kind of my take on it. I think it's going to get laughed out of court. But it didn't make the rounds on there. Dave Moody got very vocal about it, both on Twitter and on his radio show today. He's pretty heated about it, having gone up against uh, parody accounts to various degrees of impersonation. Um, so he definitely has a strong opinion about it, not necessarily one that I agree with wholeheartedly, though. But I'm interested to hear Jay's opinion. Jay? All right. Well, him and I were messaging about this already early in the day it was, um, and actually, uh, out driving today, I listened to Moody, uh, as I always do. And uh, in this particular case, the one with the Drunken Brian France parody, clearly the name suggests it. It is in the uh, profile, if you will. But again, how many people look at that? And I look at it a little bit, being the position I'm in, and Sharon and I have gone through this uh, as well. The position we're in when we come across that, and it happens to be with Moody's, you know, we see something like that. The, the one with Moody was the individual was actually trying to gain access to certain uh, teams' information and stuff, and they thought it was Moody, so they were giving it to him, or the PR, they weren't going through proper PR channels. So Moody said he started getting calls from PR people like, hey, why are you trying to go around me, or whatever. So it was causing some problems. And Sharon and I have both, uh, unfortunately, fallen victim to that we see something we talk about it on here turns out it's not true because it was through the parody account so i understand the the issue with that from another media member's perspective um and i still i follow uh this dbf uh i'll refer to it i know mike used that before of there is some information there that is good information and I know when I have brought it to the show, I will say, hey, I've seen this. It is not from what I would consider a reliable source or a one that I would put any money on. However, like Mike said, he must have some type of link to through the industry because there is some reliable information there. But I would never use him as my, my ultimate source, if you will. Um, so it's kind of twofold. Some of this stuff, and I don't follow him close enough, I know that there has been some defamation of character and from that aspect, and I don't care who you are, whether you have your own reputation or not, somebody else ruining your name, if they're going to ruin their name, let them do it themselves. I'll put it that way. They don't need somebody else's help. Um, so I think that the, there is a valid case to it. Whether or not it is enough to warrant court time, that I don't know about. And I'll turn it over to Sharon there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, my first instinct when I first heard this is I can't believe uh, that he's doing this because uh, he already takes a lot of heat from fans and not just from the DBF account. 
uh, he he takes a lot of heat from fans in general, uh, and that's why the DBF account I think came into existence is because of that. Uh, so this isn't going to help his reputation from that regard, I don't believe. Um, and uh, but as I as I looked at it a little bit further, uh, I thought about the things that Jay brings up. There have been a couple of times when we're just kind of scanning through Twitter, kind of looking for information uh, to talk about here on the show, and we'll see something. And, yeah, I looked at it. I thought it was from uh, Dave Murphy, and I reported it on the show here And until Jay kind of came back to me and said, I think that's the parody account, and sure enough, it was. And then the same thing happened to him where he found something, and we reported it and then realized later that it was uh, the parody account. So I, I, I get where they're coming from. I see both sides of this issue, and uh, I understand uh, part of it. Now, Drunken Brian France has been around for quite a while, and most of what he says, occasionally he does report things ahead of everybody else, uh, like both of you have pointed out. So there has to be some inside connection there. But most of what I see from that particular account uh, I, I kind of take with a grain of salt until it's backed up by a more reliable source uh, within the media outlet. Um, so I, I, I don't know that I personally uh, would have reported anything from the DBF account, but um, uh, I, I just don't think it's going to help Brian France and his reputation by doing this, number one. But I do think it, it could end the parody accounts as we know them now. And there are quite a few out there. You know, there's from a lot of the media uh, personalities, they've uh, got parody accounts uh, also out there. So it, it's going to be interesting to see how it does play out in court. And uh, we'll see how this uh, unfolds. So, Mike, what are, what's your follow-up on this topic? I think really the hard line here that has to be looked at and decided on is on one side of that line you have parody and satire, and that is safe. It's protected speech. It's established in law and a long history that parody and satire are completely acceptable, and even if you don't agree with it, you can't do anything legally about it. But on the other side of that line is impersonation. And what you're talking about with the right. Dave Moody accounts, that, that's on the impersonation side of the line. When you've got the word drunken in front of the name on there, it's probably pretty obvious that it's a parody account. Uh, and nor has he ever made any tweets or claims that I've seen where he's actually been trying to get anybody to think that he is Brian France, speaking as Brian France kind of a thing. Um, so that's, that's why I see that account on the parody and satire and occasional news. I, it, really, when you boil it down, DBF is basically the NASCAR version of TMZ. You know, he gets the salacious stuff, the good stuff. Sometimes it's not the most accurate stuff, but he's first with it, whether it's real or not. And he's, he hits more than he misses with a lot of that stuff. Um, so it's not, it's not a immediately disregard kind of a source of information, but you definitely need to have your salt shaker handy when you do it. Um, that's, that's why I'm pretty sure that this, uh, this lawsuit's not going to go very far because any reasonable person can look at it and say, nope, that's parody, that's satire. He's not impersonating this person in question. Out of court with the, with the lawsuit it goes. 
And I don't think myself or any other NASCAR fan is going to shed any more tears if Brian France, the real Brian France, has his reputation tarnished any further. (laughs) Okay, Jay. Um, Mike, you bring up a great point, and uh, I hadn't even thought about it from that aspect of the imitation versus the satire. So you're right, this may be a a short-lived story. Uh, it'll be interesting to see how the court does handle it. Uh, like I said, overall, I, I think it's one of those, and, and I don't want to get on a political stage, but I think we have enough time-wasting going on in courts as it is. And I go back to the Tony Stewart situation. Um, I don't like seeing lawyers involved in racing at all, but I, I know occasionally it happens, and sometimes with good cause. But I'm thinking this might get ended out of court one way or another, uh, hopefully quicker, sooner rather than later. Because, again, I'd rather just not have the the news that we're covering on a NASCAR show altogether. Okay. Now, um, just so everybody knows, and I want to do fair representation here, there is a tweet out there where a fan did mistaken the drunken Brian France account as actually being Brian France. And that's part of the crux of the... um, suit that Brian France has brought up. And this fan responded to Brian France uh, saying, I'm a huge NASCAR fan, and if you are the Brian France that's associated with that, you need to delete your Twitter account because it's making you look like a stupid... uh, I'm not going to say it because we're a family-friendly, but a stupid expletive. No wonder the stands are not nearly as full as they used to be. Now, this fan obviously thought... That was Brian France. Uh, so drunken Brian France came back and said, there's still a Brian France associated with NASCAR. Should I tell this little fellow or keep him wondering? Um, so, but that, that tweet by that fan is kind of the crux of uh, this suit, or at least part of the crux of this suit, where fans are uh, mistakenly taking that account and those tweets from that account as being Brian France. So you and I might look at that and, and I think that it's obvious that it's not Brian France, but obviously there are some fans out there that are taking it to be Brian France. So that is, it, that's what makes it interesting for me to find out if, in fact, this does uh, have some feet when it gets into court. I hope you're right, Mike. I hope I hope you're right. I hope he looks at it. And just like I thought when I first read it, I thought this is not going to do Brian France any good. Uh, this is obvious that this is a parody account. But when I read further into it, I see that there are people who are taking it to be him. So uh, we'll see where it goes, and uh, we'll go from there. I'm sure we'll have more conversations about this topic, Jay. Well, and and it's one of those, like I said, of perception is reality. So if there is any perception out there that it possibly is, and it is affecting Brian France, he has every right to have issue with it. Like I said, whether or not it's it's worthy to be in court and being sued over or for what amount, that I'm not going to get into, but if there is right. some negative aspect to it coming on his life because of it, and like I said, I'm not going to get into to him. I know we've had our discussion about him and his position and, and what he's done, 
But if somebody's going to ruin their name, let them do it on their own. I mean, it'll come through on their own. They don't need no help. Okay. Okay, uh, Jay, uh, do you think you've got time? We've got time to get in another hot topic. Do you have anything else on your list? You know, actually, I didn't uh, have any other specific ones. I know those three were the, the big three, and you brought up the Jimmy Johnson one, so I didn't have any more specific uh, for tonight. How about you, uh, Mike? <laughs> no, we've uh, we've talked about all the ones that uh, that we're thinking of talking about, plus a couple more. Uh, so I've really got nothing new. Okay, well, you guys uh, have the same list that I had then because we've talked about everything that was on my list as well. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the racing that's going to take place at ISM Raceway. Mike, we haven't heard your picks uh, for racing this weekend. I know you said you don't follow ARCA enough to make a pick there, but what about ISM Raceway and uh, uh, the Cup Series and Xfinity Series? Who are your picks? Well, for Phoenix Raceway, remember, it's not named ISM Raceway anymore. Um, for Phoenix Raceway, for the Xfinity Series. Yeah, that's, Go ahead. I, I had to uh, get in the semantics on that one. Um, for the Xfinity Series, if you're not going to pick Kyle Busch, get your coins out and start flipping them. I really don't think there's a clear favorite on the Xfinity Series side, with the exception of Kyle Busch. Um, we already talked about earlier in the show about the, you know, the, your, your Chase Briscoes, your Ryan Sieg's. I think really any one of them have a legitimate chance to win. Um, you already know my opinion. I know Gregson, so I'm not going to go in there. Um, so aside from Kyle Busch, I really don't have a strong pick for the Xfinity Series race. As far as the Cup Series goes, my pick's going to be Chase Elliott. Um, Hendrick Motorsports is off to their best start that they've had in years, probably since 2014, I would say, uh, is, is Hendrick's best year. Um, and of the Hendrick Motorsports drivers of recent, Chase Elliott has shown the most promise at Phoenix, albeit he hasn't won. Like you talked about earlier, he does have that one runner-up finish in 2017 in the fall there, as well as several other strong top five, top ten runs in Phoenix. And he's been towards the front in just about every Phoenix race that we've had over the past basically four years that he's been driving in the Cup Series. Okay. Well, I think those are both good picks. Uh, we went over our picks earlier, Jay. Uh, real quick, I took uh, Ryan Blaney and you took uh, Denny Hamlin. You were the last to pick, so most of your picks were already taken by the time we got to you. Well, and Chase Elliott is is another one that I certainly looked at. I know right now, again, Jimmy Johnson, the role he's on um, – Sam had taken him. I said he was one I was at least considering. And I I think it's possible. I know when you look at a whole stat, uh, Alex Bowman's stats didn't necessarily stack up. But recent history doesn't always apply when you have a good car, you're on good momentum. So I think it's really possible we could see Alex Bowman go back-to-back when we're talking about Hendrick Motorsports' team. Um, and we we talked about William Byron there. You know, that is where he led his first laps. Albeit was on a little bit of a pitch strategy, but uh, you got Chad Knauss behind him now. So I think any one of the four Hendrick Motorsports has a real good chance there. But there again, you can't count out Kevin Harvick. I know Andy's got him. Team Penske, Joey Logano uh, didn't get picked, but Owen took his teammate Brad, Brad Keselowski, and you have Ryan Blaney. And there, there's a couple that, and again, I don't know if they fall into the dark horse or not, 
I don't know that Matt DiBenedetto is a strong one to take uh, when it comes to Phoenix. I know he fell off a little bit there at Auto Club, but there again, being with that Penske power and the and the year the start to the year he's had uh, could sneak in there. The one I think kind of gets overlooked when we talk about Joe Gibbs Racing. Eric Jones has some very good stats. I'm not gonna say great, but some very good stats, and I believe seven starts. I don't have my racing reference info pulled up, but he's one that. On uh, other leagues where you get to take five or six drivers, like NASCAR Fantasy Live, uh, definitely one you want to have in there. So uh, I know here we only take the one race winner straight up. Um, it, it's a lot tougher versus when you can put kind of a pack of cars together. And uh, I think I think the six we have, along with, like Mike picked, uh, Chase Elliott, uh, certainly a strong one to pick for this weekend. Okay, I think uh I think all of those picks it could be any one of those drivers uh in victory lane. Uh I think in the cup series when you think about all the picks that were given here. Uh but the Xfinity series uh again, uh all of those drivers want to beat Kyle Busch. He's very good at that track. It's going to be interesting to see if anybody can beat him. There's no bounty in the Xfinity series, but all of these drivers are going to be doing everything they can uh, to beat him, and that's going to make the racing interesting, I think, in this Xfinity series. One thing we do know about Phoenix is that uh, a lot of times this is a one-mile short track, and sometimes people get their feelings hurt, and there's usually a little bit of drama afterwards. So we've seen that in the past. It'll be interesting to see if we see that this weekend. All right. Uh, With that, unless somebody can come up with something else, I think we're ready to uh, do our roundtable here. And, Jay, I'm going to let you lead that off to kind of give uh, Mike a little bit of flavor for what we do with our roundtable to close out the show. All right. Well, you can follow me on Facebook at Michael Hoosman. Uh, I know uh, Mike does there. been sharing a lot of the articles that have come through both for myself, Andy, and Owen now um, writing for Fan for Racing. So, Mike, appreciate you always being uh, involved in sharing and commenting on those. Uh, I can also be followed on Instagram and Twitter at MoparMJ8. And some things to look forward to for myself here for Fan for Racing. Already had a couple on my plate. Got another one added. Uh, we'll start with hopefully have this one out sometime this weekend, if not early next week, would be the ride of the 48. I know Mike mentioned it. We got some discussion on that over the past week of who goes into that ride. Then I'm going to be looking at the Chevy versus uh, Toyotas, if you will, because Toyota kind of set the standard last year, how the Chevys have come out strong so far out of the gate this year and whether or not Toyota's lacking. And then the Penske Crew Chief Shuffle. So those three are all on the books um, and being worked on as well as next weekend going to be going down to Five Flags Speedway for the Arca Menards East Series race to have kind of a preview of that as well as then attending that race and doing some stuff on site there during that race. So got a lot going on here in this short uh, week and a half here heading into the next weekend. Okay, Mike. Well, I'm just a race fan. All I do is I, you know, I watch racing, I talk about racing, and I think about racing. Um, I do participate in uh, the Sports Car Club of America racing, and uh, if, you, uh, if you've never been part of that, it's an uh, amateur entry-level kind of racing uh, that we do. 
Um, our next event is going to be in the Grenada Municipal Airport uh, at the 4th and 5th of April uh, in Grenada, Mississippi. So if, uh, if anyone's interested in coming out and getting their car in an actual course and, and driving it as quick as they can, um, hit me up. I can be found on Twitter or uh, Facebook, Mike Orzel, uh, O-R-Z-E-L. Um, and I'd be glad to help you out and hook you up with some more information. Um, but that's really all I've got. I don't have an extensive catalog of uh, articles or anything. I'm usually the guy commenting the nasty stuff on Jay's articles, so that's usually my, my role to fill. <laughs> okay, but you're also a very active member uh, in our race uh, day chat room as well as uh, – during our radio show chat room. So we appreciate that, Mike, and and you always bring an interesting insight. So uh, thank you for doing that. We hope you continue to do that. And we hope to have you as a guest on our uh, Hot Topic segment uh, uh, the next time uh, we have an opening here. Sure, that'd be great. Uh, I talk to to Jay fairly regularly, or, uh, or you just reach out, let me know when you'd like me to call in, and if it works for my work schedule, I'd be glad to. I've had a blast this evening. Okay, well, we've had a blast having you on as well. I am Fan for Racing site on Twitter, Fan for Racing blog and radio on Facebook, and uh, I put out, uh, I, me- I mentioned this earlier, I put out an article uh, earlier today um, and uh, will be on Facebook, I'm sorry, on fanforacing.com already is uh, our uh, uh, ARCA Sue. I have to get used to saying this. The ARCA Sioux Chief Showdown uh, breakdown, if you will, uh, to kind of help fans going into this race because it's a stand-apart race uh, from a lot of different aspects and and we kind of uh, bring some clarity uh, to the historic aspect of uh, this race at Phoenix Raceway this weekend. So I hope fans will take a look at that uh, before the race tomorrow night. Uh, because I also kind of give you an idea of some of the uh, drivers to uh, be on the lookout for uh, throughout this event. Uh, So definitely looking forward to that. I want to do a big shout-out to our Fan for Racing crew. You guys have really done a phenomenal job over the last several weeks of uh, putting out articles. Uh, We've got Owen Stewart putting out the winners and losers as well as our uh, power ranking every week. Andy's been doing the Hot Topic uh, feature every week. Jay, you've been coming in with articles on a weekly basis, and it sounds like we've got more coming. So, um, uh, And I'll put myself in there, too. I've been a little more active this season as well. Uh, we're doing the In Focus uh, uh, where we feature either a driver or someone within the industry uh, at Vampir Racing. And uh, I I hope to be – I've got another article I'm working on for next week. Uh, As I formulate that, uh, uh, you can watch for that to be coming out soon as well. So uh, thanks to everybody for tuning in. A big shout-out to our listeners. We appreciate each and every one of you, whether you're listening to the live broadcast or to our podcast. Uh, We thank you for taking the time to listen to what we have to say. We hope you'll make a comment on Fan for Racing's uh, chat room so that we know that you're tuning in and uh, would love to hear from you so please take the time to do that uh and uh, i'm sure mike would enjoy having somebody else to converse with in the chat room (laughs) so um i i with that guys i think we're ready to call it a wrap what do you think 
Well, it's been, been an absolute pleasure, Mike. I know I get to talk to you on a daily basis. Like you said, we chat back and forth a lot. It was really great to have you on here tonight, uh, as well as in the chat room. I know we kicked that kicked that off again this year to bring it back to Fan for Racing. Uh, you've been a big help with that, and so hopefully we can continue to build on that. So uh, if you if you have any friends aside from me, uh, go ahead and bring them in there. You know me. I have no friends. <laughs> with my, char- with my charming personality. Me. <laughs> okay guys uh, th- thanks Mike and uh, Jay we appreciate all that you do and uh, we'll look forward to talking to everybody on the other side of the race weekend on Monday night at 8.30pm Eastern Time and Jay and I will be back here next Thursday night uh, for the preview of Atlanta there will be a lot to talk about on Hot Topics on both nights and uh, with that we'll call it a wrap guys Good night.